Hey, how's everyone doing? Just checking in to see what's happening. Uh, everybody who's up in here, or a couple of pieces of house cleaning. Uh, real quick, there's an option to make highlights of the show. So whatever parts of the show you like the best that happened tonight, you can make little clips of them. When you make the little clips on this app, it should be pretty self-explanatory how to do it. But once you make the clips, they get automatically shared with us, and that really helps us because then we can share it on social media. We can share it on Instagram, Twitter. They're like, you know, very shareable clips. So any particular part you find particularly insightful, particularly funny, making highlights of that stuff really helps us out. The other thing is, and I'll give reminders throughout the show, but uh, share this on your social medias. That's always really good. Just there should be a button that allows you to share the um, room with people on different social medias or by or by text. You know, just let people know that we're up in here. Let's get some people in here. And the other thing is, you, you're free to come up at any time into the queue and give your opinion. Like you don't have to wait to be invited. Even though we will try to remember to invite people up as often as we can and we're gonna try to be better about getting to callers in the queue because i feel like in the past sometimes people on the panel including myself uh it's no shading as anybody it's myself included we get caught up in talking amongst the panel and then we take too long to get to the people in the queue so trying to really work on that this time around so if you do get into the queue we will do our best not to leave you waiting too long i feel like we've been getting better about that in the beginning we were really bad because we had these huge panels on the stage but um yeah we're trying to get better on on it and i still want to keep getting uh better at it also there's like various things that i didn't even know happened here there's, there's basically a back channel chat you can text chat while the room is going on so um that's pretty cool some people some of you already figured it out i myself i I'm not good on how to do that. But um, last thing is, uh, any show that you've watched, feel free to talk about. But don't be intimidated if you end up disagreeing with the host, because it's you know a free country. You're able to, um, you know, we don't want people to just be in echo chamber. So if you're loving, I mean. As you're going to see as I go on, I'm not too crazy about a lot of these new black shows, but if they're your bag, if that's your jam, by all means, you know, pop in and let us know, like, you love these shows, you know, no one's going to bite your head off, you know, so, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. Let me just check on where Q is, but, I mean, if anybody wants to get into the Q, into the caller queue before Q comes up, um, feel free, but. In the meantime, let's make sure that we get more people up in here. But uh, to give a little bit of background, and I think I linked to the tweet in the description of the show, but um, there was this new show called Bust Down, and it's a very Twittery show. It's one of the shows where a lot of the people involved, you can tell, listen to Twitter a lot. And I even looked at some interviews with the people, and they straight up said, hey, um, the creator of the show was talking about how the first thing he reads every day, all day long, is Twitter, and he's an unapologetic Twitter lover. And 
he has all his news from Twitter and, you know, he, he spends all day camped out in the DMs with other black creatives. And it really shows and not in a good way. Like the show just feels like it's written by a Twitter algorithm. I mean, even more than normal. Like a lot of these shows feel like they're written by a Twitter, Twitter algorithm. And I don't know if anybody, has anybody seen the show bust down? Um, if you have like just clap or something, I just want to know if anybody's actually seen the show. Um, so nobody's clapping. I think oh, some people clapped. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm curious if people who saw the show actually liked it. I thought it was uh, pretty, pretty unfunny. But people tell me that I'm too hard on shows. That's 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 what I get all the time. That I'm too hard on stuff. So uh, I'm curious to hear from somebody who liked it. I mean, I'm curious to hear from anybody who watched it. But I'm curious to see what people what people think about it. But um, in general, there's a lot of new shows out there and. Some of them are more funny than others. Like there's one called Abbott Elementary School or Abbott Elementary. I watched some of that one. I couldn't really finish it, but it wasn't as bad as Bust Down. I tried Southside, which I wasn't too crazy about. But I mean, the thing that I find about a lot of these new black shows is that they feel like white shows, but like it, with black people, like they sprinkle in like some slang, like John and, you know, um, the trap and you know just different slang and Beyonce references and stuff like that but they feel like it's always sunny in California or like an adult swim show or like a stoner show or something or they're trying to, be to curb your enthusiasm like for example like Insecure to me just feels like uh, curb your enthusiasm and they always feel like shows that like black educated people who have a lot of white friends and watch white shows want to prove to white people that black people can do the same type of show. That's what these shows feel like to me. Like they're trying to prove something to like, they feel to me like people who think white shows are particularly more sophisticated and they're making the black show to prove to white people that black people can make a white style show. And even in the interview for bust down, when I was reading the interview and they were talking about um, how they ask the people, hey, do you, do you think your show is going to be controversial? Or are you prepared for the conversations because you guys are pushing envelopes? And they're clearly trying to be like a, a provocative show. Uh, but the answer was like, yeah, you know, uh, we're ready for that. But if people do come at us, you know, it's unfair because white shows get to do this. Kirby Enthusiasm gets to, do th gets to do this. And it's always sunny. And they can only talk about their own show in reference to white shows. And when I was listening to it, I was like, not listening, I was reading, because it was a typewritten interview. It felt like they had no positive vision for the show as a black show. It was just a reaction to white shows, some kind of statement. That was um, all they really seemed to have to say about it. It was uh, a little disturbing to me that that's all they could, they could say about it. But... Um, the clip in question, the one that put the show on my radar was the creator of the show, Langston something. He put up a clip and he goes, you know, people are asking what kind of show this is. This will give you an idea. And the clip was about um, these four, these four guys, they're kind of like fuck boys, right? Uh, well, it's three guys and a stud lesbian. And they're basically just like four fuck boys in a dead end job. And they're just kind of like, uh, fuck-ups. I think that was supposed to remind you of uh, It's Always Sunny. 
And they're like, fuck boys and man children. This is the grown children, the dead end job. And the white boss calls one of them in the back and then gropes him, uh, grabs his penis. And that was the end of the clip. Like, there wasn't even a punchline. Like, the whole joke apparently was just supposed to be look at this guy. He's, uh, he's a straight black guy on his job, and his white boss grabs his grabs his penis and there was no punchline no context to a joke or anything and then i had retweeted it and i was like this is really weird like there's not even like i'm not a prude I, like i think a lot of things can be fodder for um you know humor but to me the more politically incorrect or uh tacky the thing is the funnier you better make it to justify doing it, you know? And, and I was just saying like, there's no actual punchline here. Like the whole clip is just a guy getting his junk grabbed and um, a handful of like a certain type of black person was like cheering, like, Oh my God, this is so funny. You killed it. I can't believe you did it. But by far like 90% of the responses were people like, what the hell is this? Like, how is this funny? Like black men, getting molested in the job by white people. Like, where's the joke? And, um, yeah, it was just, it was just bizarre. Uh, it was, but when I first, I think the guy just really miscalculated. And that's something quite interesting about these people is that there's a type of lack of understanding they have about black audiences, I think, uh, at least mainstream black audiences, where uh, the guy came into my mentions and he got, like, sassy with me. He was like, yeah, that's all we could think of. Did I make you mad? You know? And I was like, mm, I'm not mad. I'm just kind of disappointed, honestly. Like, I won't say I'm mad. And then Sam J, one of the comedians on the show, was like, oh, you know, sorry you didn't like the show. Maybe you can give us uh, 50000 so we can reshoot the pilot just for you. And then they both deleted, like, immediately after they did it. But I, I don't know if they deleted because maybe somebody tapped their shoulder and told them to, you know. But, I mean, I don't think the studio was, like, looking at them like that, you know, to, like, micromanage. Or I don't know if they just saw so many people responding were actually agreeing with me. And then they, you know, backed off. But I find it interesting they both um, deleted instantly. But it was also at odds with what was in their interview because the interview was talking about how they want to push boundaries and they want to like, start these conversations. But at the first most benign criticism, which was mine, they started getting sassy and thin skinned, which, you know, it, it reminded me of like also like the slave play guy was like that, uh, Jeremy o. Harris, where he keeps claiming that he wants to provoke conversations and provoke thought and be controversial, but he's excessively thin skinned at every single thing that anybody says. So they kind of want to be these enfants terribles of the industry, but they also feel entitled to uh, a totally uncritical, fawning reception at the same time. And I think partially part of it, too, is because I think the Black audience, they kind of feel like we're there just to make them look authentic to white people. And there's almost like an extra, to me, type of offense when the Black people don't fall in line. I feel like if it was someone a white critic or something they might have engaged more um respectfully you know but i think they just said oh this guy's probably some kind of hotep uh 
dumb black guy who can't appreciate it. I, I don't know what it was, but it was just a weird. Oh, hey, Q, I didn't see you were in here. Or am I seeing things? Is he? Oh, no, I thought I saw him. Yeah, but um, someone in the chat said that uh, Sam Jay is, uh, has so much big, thick energy. I've uh, never seen that on the white show, and she's amazing. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not. He's like a nice person, but I'm not really crazy about what I've seen about him. Maybe I haven't seen the right things, but um, yeah, I haven't been too crazy. But she's apparently very popular, you know. And I can't really judge her by this show because I tried her HBO show. She had an HBO show where she's talking about kind of like uh, political topics and everything, and. I feel like she's not really qualified yet to talk about those things, but she wants to talk about them, and it just kind of makes me nuts. Like, I just wish she would just do comedy. Like, there's this new thing that happens now with people. I don't understand what it is, but everybody comes out the gate wanting to be some kind of thought leader. Like, people don't want to just be, especially in, like, I feel like in um, these new woke circles, especially the black ones, you just read a book. And now you want a lecture on the book. Uh, and it's not just like the kind of intersectional type ones. Um, Killer Mike does this too. Like, like Killer Mike will, every book that that guy just read, suddenly he wants to pontificate on it and be on a panel. And I'm like, I'm glad that you're reading, you know, these books. You know, like I've been in that stage where I just started kind of getting woke. And the last book I read was always mind-blowing to me. And I'm going to tell everybody about it. But, you know, I didn't get on the platform and start, you know, lecturing at at the Revolt, Revolt Political Conference or get a Netflix show on it. Like, like, But these people, they're in that phase that a lot of us were in in college. But they're in that phase with hundreds of thousands or millions of people platform. You know, and I think it's kind of like if your yearbook picture was blasted on a billboard or something like that phase, which should be kind of small and private and embarrassing and full of course correction you're doing on a jumbotron. You know what I mean? And I feel like Sam J's show was like that. Like maybe her straight up standup is very good, but my first exposure to her before this bust down show was this show where she's doing I think it's called Sam J. Pause or something. And she's having these conversations on these topics that it's not that she's curious about them, but she's not ready to have these conversations yet. And they just end up being kind of clumsy and cringe. If people have seen this show and you disagree with me, by all means, feel free to come in. I'm not going to invalidate your opinion or whatever. A lot of people like her. She's very successful. So, I mean, she's probably doing something right. Maybe I'm just seeing the wrong things. But in any case, I can't blame her for the show bust down because she's just acting it. She's not writing it. It's not her it's not her uh baby at the end of the day. But yeah, I'm just curious about why people think about the state of black comedy. It's like now compared to then and to play devil's advocate to myself, a lot of people point out these shows are technically to a large degree kind of more black created than a lot of shows that we love, like a lot of shows that I know I like growing up, they had a lot of white writers on them when you find out about them. Things like um, 
Good Time, Sanford and Son, The Jeffersons, um, Cosby Show. And what's interesting is a lot of these shows, in a strange way, will have more, a higher proportion of black people on the shows, but somehow, to me, it feels less authentically black, if that makes sense. I don't know. It just, they just feel like they're trying to be black versions of white shows. And if anybody wants to talk about Bust Down, that's fine. You could talk about Southside. You could talk about Insecure. If there's good black comedies out there that you think are getting ignored, including by myself, feel free to share those as well. But I just feel like there's something weird about a lot of these shows. Same with like a lot of the stand-ups, too. Like a lot of these stand-ups coming up, like the Lucas Brothers, they just feel like... You know they feel like they feel like the black guy who hangs out with white skater kids and let's just say the N-word. Like someone gave them a show. Like, you know, like Tyler the Creator types. Like uh yeah, they're just people who will hang out with a bunch of uh, high beast white guys who wanna be down and smoke up their trust fund money, their weed money in exchange for letting them say uh the N word in mixed company. And they give those people a show. And yeah, I mean, that's basically, that's basically where I kind of fall in it. But um, I'm thinking if there's any other shows that I've actually liked out of this bunch. Somebody's here. I'll take you. Hey, how's it going? Feel free to unmute. Is it working? Hey, how's it going? Hey, good. How's it going? Um, I think you're right about it, but I think it's just that black comedians now have a white audience in mind, where comedians like uh, Bernie Mac or Cedric the Entertainer were just kind of be doing comedy and trying to be funny. So they're not, it's not necessarily like the first priority. So I think they just try to like mask it with, uh, I don't know, they try to like mask it with, I, I don't know. Uh, I totally, like, I, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. Like, they, they want to mask it by pretending that it's more authentic than it is, but they're trying to sell the authenticity, I think, to... Actually, you know what kind of reminds me of? I, I'll tell you a story. This is something I remember, right? I, um, I went to spring break once, and I went to Cancun, but I didn't know that um, the only time Cancun, that was really stupid. The only time Cancun had, like, a lot of black people in it was in May. And that, you know, in March, is just basically just a bunch of, like, white frat boys. So I went there with one black friend and some of my Hispanic friends. And, um, when we went there, I was like, oh my god, like, everything here is just, like, these white bros. This is, like, hell. But we'd go from, like, party to party and it was really bad. But there was one club that one hip hop club there, and strangely enough, the hip hop club played really good hip hop. I was really kind of surprised how good the hip hop was at this club. But we went there, and there were a couple of black people in this club, and I got like excited. I was like, "Oh, finally!" Like just like black people, and I would go up to these black people, and I would just stop, like you know, we give the head nod, we talk, and you know, be whatever, and they all would look at me like really funny, and I was like, "Why are they looking at me so funny?" and I was, and me and my friend were there, and we had come from uh, Brooklyn and everything. But these people looked like they were from the suburbs and stuff. But 
Uh, I remember that there was one guy, he was there, and he was dressed like Tupac, and he, and he had the uh, bandana backwards and everything, and this was way past, like, Tupac was already dead. I was like, nobody even dressed like this. What is this guy doing? And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. These white people are too corny to realize these black people are corny. So they're, like, selling this kind of, um, like, like, these are black people who've mainly grown up with white people. But the white people don't know that these black people are kind of corny. And uh, the reason why they're looking at me and my friend weird is because they think we're going to give them away. Uh, and what you said just kind of reminded me of that when you said um, that they're trying to make it, they're trying to pepper with black stuff, but for white people. I think this is kind of something similar. Yeah, exactly. And I, but I also think. They don't, they're not even trying to hide it, though. Because when I watch a lot of Black comedians now, they say that, like, they grew up in the suburbs, they had white friends. They, 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 don't, they don't really try to hide it, but I think they're still, like, vying for that spot that comedians like Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle got. But I don't think there's really a space to be that. So, so they're, they're, more, they're more transparent with the uh, falseness. And the way I think it makes them almost more schizophrenic because they're kind of more transparent about the fact that they grew up with white stuff, but they're still also want to be seen as authentic and i think it kind of makes them even crazier than if they just lied and tried to hide that they were from the suburbs altogether you know what i mean exactly and i think they could probably make i mean because like bust down i haven't seen the show but i've seen some of the comedians live and someone like sam jay and stuff they're really funny but i think if they made something that was more honest to them they could they could make a good show but i also think some of them are like from like i think sam jay's from like a black neighborhood and like maybe like a more lower middle class background. She so seems she seems it, but you know it's hard to assume. You never want to assume, but yeah, I mean she seems it to me. Yeah, but yeah, that was that's pretty much uh, all I have to say. Yeah, thank you for thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, got oh, some more people coming up. Hey, how's it going, Renny? What's good, homie? Oh, nothing much, man. It was a pleasure to talk to you. I don't know if you got to see the show, but I'm pretty sure sh- I'm pretty sure you got to see at least a clip, right? Oh, oh, but you've been off Twitter for for a bit, so maybe you haven't. Nah, I haven't. So I've been um you know, just getting a lot of stuff uh from school together. I've been off at least since the end of January, um, or early February. But I'll probably be back maybe uh in May or something. Oh, no, keep your sanity, man. Just, <laughs> don't, don't do it. Oh, man, I've been, I'm, I'm trying to join. I've been really, honestly, man, it's been some of the, I've been a, it's been some of the best experience I've had in a while. Um, Cause I'm just able to like sit back and look at things and just look at, so, cause like now my, uh my understanding is like, oh my God, social media is weird. But when you're in it, it's kind of hard to like, look at it like that. Um, but right now I have that, sort of like perspective but i already know once i like get back into it i'll be like damn you know i'm a you know i'm part of it now so uh but anyway uh just following up on the conversation um i think we had this i think i made this a similar point uh that i'm about to make now when we were talking about um either was it the uh wills um the the bel-air episode um and the point is that i think black comedy now even though, you know, it may be technically 
more produced by black people, more directed by black people and, and involved more black people. I think the strata or the subset of people who are those arbiters of the decision-making and who get seen or visibility come from certain class backgrounds. Because when you think about the comedians that like a lot of us are raised on in the 90s, this is before, you know, there's a so-called vibrant, black middle class like in the early 90s you got people like martin lawrence coming out of dc and detroit you got the steve harvey's coming out of cleveland bernie mass coming out of chicago like they're from the urban centers of america and so their comedy speaks broadly to a lot of black people who are actually in those conditions but once you start to get this sort of like neo-colonial arc of 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 like black people you know this representation matters kind of black people where all people, you know, I'm rooting for everybody black kind of shit. Um, now you have people who don't have the experience in the in the urban centers of America. And so they're putting they're putting their perspectives about black people on the big screen. And it it really, you know, it really um it's tantamount to like white people uh, and their perspectives of black people. So I think like that's a big thing too, because like a lot of those comedians like Chris Tucker's, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, the city of like Atlanta, you know, a lot of them guys were like actually from conditions that were similar to black people at that time. But now you got people who, you know, you know, are actually, you know, as it pertains to income, not wealth, you know, they have some money and, you know, they live in the suburbs next to white people. And, you know, they're speaking from that point of view. Um, and now, you know, comedy has just changed from that perspective. Uh, that's pretty much what I think, though. Yeah, and I feel like even when people were unfunny back then, they were unfunny in a different way, if that makes sense. Like, it was... Like, there's a certain type of unfunniness that I feel happens now that is just... Like, like okay, here's one show that a lot of people... This show is technically better than a lot of the other shows. Like, this one, I can't even see the quality more. And I can, I can, I could get people liking it more, you know, compared to say like Black Lady Sketch Show, which I thought was just really, really uh, corny. But uh, the show called Abbott Elementary. Oh yeah, right? I watched that one. Yeah, yeah. I like a lot it. of people, a lot of people watch that one, and um, but like my personal thing is, I'm not crazy about like The Office or Parks right. and Rec type humor. And it feels very, very officey. Like, like it now feels... I've never seen The Office, but I, I have heard people reference The Office, Office when they see seen this one, by relation of how they look into the camera and stuff like that. I believe that's sort of like yeah, yeah. yeah. And the first, and the first episode, the pilot, they used uh, one of the most prolific Office directors, like I guess the guy who directed the most Office episodes. So uh-huh. to me, I'm like, if they hired him to do the first episode, they must really be consciously trying to get the tone of mm-hmm. the office. So so like that one I actually watched a couple of minutes of and while it wasn't for me just because I don't like that type of um humor, I could see why other people would like it. You know, like I could yeah. I could kind of get yeah. it, but it didn't really feel to me like a um black humor to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, so like for me it was more like about relatability. Cause like most people who grew up like city can like have they have some type of understanding of like going to a school in the city, a public school, not having enough resources. Teachers always complaining about this or that. 
you know what I'm saying? Like this sort of like it's very that part seems very like real, like something that like it happens all the time. Um, and so, but as as you stated, like there is sort of like a feeling of a, you can tell like it's going after it's trying to like merge certain audiences. So it's not like uh, you know it's not like fully uh, looking to like black folk to get their attention. It's more so trying to like merge. Uh, a different and broader audience, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I do think, to be fair, it's one of the better ones doing it from from what I what I saw. Like it was, I mean, compared to like Bust Down, it was way, way, way um, better. But but yeah, I mean, it's something in general. I'm trying to figure out. Like, I, I wouldn't mind this if I didn't feel like it was the only thing I see kind of coming out. Like, I mm. feel like. Well, if there is something else out there, I'm not sure exactly where to find it outside of, like, web series and stuff like that, you know? I feel like on those Instagram comedian skits and stuff, you you get some humor that's kind of, like, like um those people like a Drewski guy or the that Martin uh-huh. Phillips and the RBC guy. Like, I feel like that feels like the kind of black humor we used to get on, like, uh, CW and those types of stuff, but uh, yeah, a network and streaming TV. I feel like there's a weird stranglehold now of um, one particular type of uh, black humor. But I mean, I don't know. But I'm really curious. So no one, no one who's seen Bust Down wants to speak. Let me check with Let me check with D. I want to see if D. Because I just want someone else to pick my. I want to pick someone else's brain about this show because the show to me was so unfunny. I couldn't get over how bad it was. Um, thanks for coming up, Randy. I'm, I'm gonna go to D now and see. Hey, what's up, man? What's going on, man? How you feeling? Good. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think the big thing with black humor with I know the topic is comedy is. But, you know, I would expand this to black shows in general is there's shows that are very much like middle class kind of humor that are black humor. And so I don't I don't mind it because like Abbott Elementary um, and I, I just started the Fresh Prince show. But then there's shows um, with humor where it's clearly written by like the blue checks, like the, the Harlem show or the I don't know if you saw the show um, where. Um, the guys like stuff is getting grabbed. I think you tweeted about it. Oh, or oh, oh, even yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. that's the one bust down that I was uh, talking about earlier. Yeah, 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 that one. Or even, or even, what was that? Sh- there was a show where this uh, black woman out of nowhere like was having an argument. This black woman's like, "F Coretta Scott King." I don't hear what she says. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. That was that was Southside, and um, yeah, I, I watched that one too, and I wasn't too. But you know what I'm saying? That one. It wasn't as consistently bad as that clip. I'll give it okay. that. Um, it wasn't consistently as bad as that clip, but it wasn't quite laugh out loud funny to me either. But that one was also trying to be very adult swimmy, adult. It was it was trying very hard to be kind of stonerish. It was very very to me um, white guy stoner humor, but with like. Um, an overlay of, of blackness to it, but the bust down one actually was bad. At- yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I think it's a combination of you have writers who I guess are more conscious, but they're really like trying to force the intersectionality angle. Because sometimes you'll see like forced, like dear white people analyze where there'll be forced conversations about race that sound very like academic, 
that happen in don't happen in real life. But I guess the one thing I do want to be wary of is I don't want to define necessarily humor to having to be black people from poor socioeconomic areas. So that's why, like, a show, like going back to Abbott Elementary, I do want to give it a chance because, you know, if middle class black people like it, then I, I don't want to say it's inauthentically black. Yeah, but I definitely get some of the criticisms because sometimes there's a tendency to say, well, if you're making 70 K a year and you're black, you're not keeping it real anymore. And it's like, you know, there are people like that that are down. So that was my commentary. Hold on, sorry. Just received the phone call, so I have to, I have to um, close it. Yeah, some people really do. Some people really do um, kind of do do that. Like, for example, one thing that I felt is kind of overcorrection is um, there's a lot of people who kind of say, like, black people aren't doing as good as they always pretend on TV, and it's misleading to, you know... Um, erase like the plight of poor black people. Then you get people who because of that take it too far and suddenly any show that's not about poor black people they wanna um criticize. But for example, the original Fresh Prince of Bel Air, I thought had a very middle class appeal to it, but it never felt inauthentically black in the sensibilities. There was a lot of um you know, the sensibilities of it felt authentically black. Even something like the Cosby show, which did not explicitly touch on race uh much at all, I felt had a lot of black authenticity to it, you know, because uh, a lot of black, a lot of Buffy's really did act that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And the new in Bel Air is frustrating too because I always saw Carlton as like the somewhat somewhat likable but like corny uh, rich black guy. And the new show they made him into an asshole. And I'm like, man. This dude was supposed to be corny, but kind of likable. This guy's just, the new Carlton's just a straight up asshole in the new show. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's he's like way, he's like way too far. And I don't think I even realize how far they've taken him because they seem to be trying to pull him back now. But I'm like, I don't think this is enough. I think you've made him way too much of an asshole to just kind of be like, well, oh, my bad. I got a little carried away, which this is where they seem to be going, going with, going with him. But, um, I mean, that show... As it goes on, I think it's clearly, uh, we had a show about it before and uh, we had disagreement where some people thought the show was kind of skewering um, upper class blacks. But as it goes on, I don't think that's the case at all. Like um, they got they got Will reading Audrey Lord now and that seems like that, like, like they're giving Will Malcolm Gladwell and Audrey Lord books to read and He's um, being schooled on Carol Walker, and I'm like, okay, yeah. So this is this is a very blue check show. Like, like they're not skewering these people at all. They're totally making it seem like Will is being enriched by their sensibilities. So, um, whereas before, I felt in the first show, he was more kind of making them more down, and in this one, they're making him more blue checky to to me. Yeah, that's a brilliant observation, man. I definitely agree. They're like, we need to have this because <laughs> the dad's giving talks. And I'm like, yeah, and it's, yeah, they, they ruined they I will say they ruined it also by making it like not a comedy. You, you have to keep the comedy. I think I think one problem is I think you could make it a drama. But what I think they kind of went wrong with, too, is when they made it a drama, they kind of made it a melodrama. Like, it feels like it's written to be tweeted about. 
you know, uh, like, like for example, that scene, because you know, on social media, it's, and I'm not saying this to cape for, you know, white women or anything, but, you know, social media, the safest thing you can do right now is to Karen bash if you want cheap social media points. And that scene where the black girl's uh, cop father has a new wife and she's white and she was such a stereotypical Karen, but it was like so lazy. And then they have Aunt Viv, like, you know, read her and, you know, uh, school her on being a Karen or something. And, but the way that they did it, it was so unearned. Like, it wasn't, I mean, I mean I'm going to date myself with an example, but, you know, these have shows like Dynasty back in the day, and there would be, like, say, like, a, a character you'd love to hate, like uh, Alexis Carrington. And she would be, like, bad for, like, a whole season, so that by the time her and the good woman fought, there was something earned to it. But this was, like, they, they, it was like a microwave conflict. They, they introduced this um, Karen, like, five minutes before the end of the episode, and then Aunt Reed, Aunt, uh, Aunt Viv, like, like, reads her. And then a certain segment of, like, Black Twitter, like, exploded, like, oh, Aunt Viv did not come to play and whatever. I'm like, you cannot be this excited about it. This is, like, you've only known these characters for, like, four weeks. And this conflict for, like, five minutes. Like, this is so um, contrived. Like, you know, you can have, like, some kind of anti-Karen moment. But at least make it three-dimensional, like, earn it or something. But uh, I think the drama could work if they tried to do real drama, but they're not. They want to do cheap melodrama and and cheap uh, Twitter drama. And I think that's kind of, to me, what's kind of hurting it. And, make, and just make things more subtle. I mean, the, the show, I know it gets a lot of bash, but a show I think kind of tries, and it's not a comedy, is I do think a show like All-American – and a show like uh, uh, Lincoln Heights back in the day, like they kind of address racial issues, but I think when you make them like like a grad thesis statement, that's when it that's when people roll their eyes because oh, all Americans kind of tries to do it. Lincoln Heights was a really underrated show, and uh, I don't know if I appreciate it more because so many things that try to do the same thing that it did do it so much worse now. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was. It, it was a pretty underrated show, I thought, especially when I see a lot of the stuff that uh, comes out now. Like, Bell Air could be a lot worse. Don't don't get me wrong. It could be a lot worse, but it's not very subtle. But, like, nothing subtle now. Like, like that, that Bust Down show has... A, this was, this was one of the problems with the Bust Down show is it wants to be irreverent and um, hit sacred cows the way that It's Always Sunny does. But in addition to not being funny... It's also like afraid because it's only hitting soft targets. So they make fun of like straight black men. They make fun of like, you know, certain kinds of people. But anything intersectional approved, not only will they not talk about it, but they have these after school special didactic PhD think piece moments where they're schooling stuff, people on, you know, um, like body positivity and centering black women and black women started all the social justice movements while black men did nothing. And it's like, okay, so you're, you're politically correct just to your tribe. Like, you know, you're, um, you're only going after um, things that are safe to go after in your Twitter DMs and in your corner of the internet. So 
that's what kind of annoys me about it, is that it's such a fake, safe, performative irreverence. Like, like they won't actually go after anything that might get them canceled on Twitter with the audience that they're courting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we need to have a conversation definitely about that and, you know, split, them splitting out black men and black women and all that nonsense. And I, I just hope it doesn't permeate even more throughout our shows. But thanks for taking my call, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for coming up. Appreciate it. Um, actually, I want to put somebody in the spot. Uh, Chris, do you want to come up and you're the only person I know I've seen bust down. Uh, so do you want to come up and talk about Bust Down? Because someone came in the audience right now I've seen Bust Down. And I need to pick somebody's... I want to hear someone else talk about the show besides me. Especially because I think with, with me, everyone thinks I'm kind of a hater anyway. So they probably just think, oh, he might be being too tough on it. But if not, that's cool. I, I'm just throwing it out there, Chris, if you want to uh, say any words on it. You know what? In fact, I will even take it further. I will invite you to speak. So now I'm totally going to put you on the spot. But let's see. What what other shows are, are out there that I've tried? Um, Black, Lady Sketch, Black Lady Sketch Show was, was pretty bad. But something interesting Black Lady Sketch Show that ties into something that we were saying before, there was a writer for Black Lady Sketch Show. There was a sketch on Black Lady Sketch Show that was like so unfunny a lot of people were kind of bashing it and saying that it had to be written by, you know, uh, somebody white because it was just so corny. And then word of that got to the um, the writer of the sketch. Uh, her name was Ray Sani. So she did this long thread, um, you know, kind of attacking people who said that the sketch was unfunny and whatever. And she was like, yeah, well, you know, joke's on you, you know, I'm a black person and I wrote that sketch. But on top of that, all these shows that you love, that you say are your favorite shows, your favorite black shows, those are all written by Ivy League, you know, white people and whatever. So the way she was saying it was like, okay, the black shows that you like, that you find were authentic, were actually bad because they weren't written by as many black people as our show is. But to me, I was like, that kind of doesn't prove anything because all you've um, kind of proven is that you're worse at connecting to black audiences than a white writer is. So you're not making the black fans look bad or the white writers look bad. If anything, you're just kind of making yourself look extra bad. You know what I mean? Like to me, you shouldn't even bring that up that all these uh, belovedly more authentic shows were um, had a lot of white people on, on the staff because it doesn't actually make your work any better to point out that you're black and they were, they were white. Another show that I think could never happen today, and this is an example I think of like actual irreverence was um, in Living Color. Like, for anybody who's seen Bust Down and the way it tries to pretend to be irreverent, but you look at something like in Living Color and the kind of things they went after, I just feel like you just can't make a show like that in this climate. But I'm not sure what kind of show you can make and have it be funny. Like, is there anything out there that sticks to the tenets of um, of new wokeness, but still manages to find 
um, humor in it. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like actual, like laugh out loud. Like this, this being Twitter woke automatically preclude, preclude you from being funny is what I want to know. Um, like there's something inherent in it that guarantees you just cannot get good humor out of it. Or are these people just not talented? And that's and that's um, the problem. That's that's another thing I want to uh, try to figure out and ask about because I'm I'm really so far none of it has been has been wowing me at all. Wow, so nobody's going to weigh in on anything. Oh, wait, here we go. Hey, welcome back, Ray. I'm just coming up here to make this more of a conversation, man. That's it. Okay. Thank you, man. I don't know. People People just don't want to come up. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. What was your question? Well, the question was, the question was basically, is there something about, like, like modern Twitter wokeness that just, is automatically inherently unfunny or is it just a lack of talent? Like, cause to me, I feel like there should be no reason why any topic can't be funny in the hands of a talented person. But these things just come off to me like kind of like Ted talks set to a plot. I think it's because we know how they become vehicles um, on social media. Like for example, like you mentioned, <laughs> You mentioned how on Bel Air, Will is getting books of Audre Lorde, you know, and it becomes an interesting artifact of social media because we know what that kind of discourse creates. And we know what audience that kind of discourse is um, yearning to get acceptance from. So we sort of like see it as corny. It's like, okay, that's sort of corny because on we know where this is, who this is targeting. And so I think it's because like people on Twitter, specifically on Twitter, because I would argue out of all the social media sites, um, out of all the social media channels, Twitter is probably the most um, targeted um, because Twitter discourse for some reason, it's like this spear of, uh, it's like this intellectual, but it's not intellectual. It's actually very anti-intellectual, but there's, but, that's what sort of like as a veneer of intellectuality exactly and that it, there's this guise of intellectual intellectuality and so people who are outside of the sort of sort of like assume that this intellectuality is is something that's like real and true and you know but it's really superficial and so i think that um when we see things like that for people who are like used to being on on Twitter, um, we just sort of we immediately we just see, oh, that's corny. That's just corny. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, because they wouldn't be doing this if not for um, targeting specific audiences. Which makes me question. Like, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how like those types, like feminists, those types felt in the '90s on certain like um, on certain like comedy skits. Because like one can argue that you know. 90s black comedy had certain things certain jokes about um black women or you know black men gay black men and now you know if there are like certain jokes around 
hoteps of straight black men seems to be all fair. You know, like it's it's a free game. It's it's comedy, right? So I wonder, you know what I'm saying? I wonder like well, what. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I I I just thought of a show that was I thought of two shows that were kind of preachy, but mm-hmm. could still be funny. Like like on the family. And there's another show called Maud. They used to have a lot of, and and even the shows like Good Times and stuff. They used to have a lot of like um, preachy episodes, but somehow they could yeah. still manage to make it make it funny. So yeah, I mean there are examples of shows with the. Wait, did you break up? I can't hear you. Yeah. Sorry, I got a phone. I got a phone call, and the phone call caused my phone. Uh, yes, I was about to say that. Yes, yes. Someone keeps calling. Hold, hold on one second. Yes. Yeah, so, so, yeah. I mean, so it was possible. It was possible to be. It was possible to be. Um, it was possible to be preachy, but still be kind of funny. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um. So I think of some shows that I watch now. Like I, I, I've really given up on like the wokeish black comedy shit. Um, I just be watching um, different shit. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Those are uh, moving pieces. As a matter of fact, now that you mentioned it, who did you say was the uh, the creator of the Bust Down show? Or um, his name was Langston something. He played the bisexual okay. guy in Insecure, and he plays a guy running for office in the show Southside. He's been on a couple of these shows, and uh, this is the first show where he gets to... Uh, cre- There's like four creators on the show. One is Chris Red from Saturday Night Live. The other one is... um Is... um This guy Langston Kerman, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's two other people whose names whose names I don't I don't recognize. But... What do you know their names though? They keep um, it's four it's four people and they and it's just it's just a it's just a weird show like it's just really bizarre and and if you look. On on Twitter, people tweet about it every two minutes for like a couple of days straight, but I can't find anyone who's actually watched it. And I feel like there's a lot of like astroturfing going on. Like for example, when it first launched on IMDb, most of the ratings were like one star, and it was like a four point one rating of users. And then by the end of the day, a whole bunch of five no ten star ratings came through. It was one out of ten. So it ended the first day at like um, six, then the next day at seven, and then it got uh, close to eight. And all these ten star reviews just just came in all at once. So, so, okay, so, yeah. So I'm not sure how much of an organic audience it has and how many people are fake watching it, but yeah, there. Uh, so Sam J is one of the creators. I actually uh, watched uh, something that. Uh, she created it was called um pause uh basically i thought it was i thought it was okay like 
basically she would uh every episode they would have like a topic um and like you know she'd bring like her friends and they'll be drinking and they'll be like talking about different things like sometimes it'll get political sometimes you know they'll have like conversation on hotep sometimes they'll have a conversation you know like and it was just interesting to see like her her perspectives and stuff like that um so um, I remember her can you can you tell me what you thought about that show? Because I did watch that show and it wasn't false. Yeah, it wasn't terrible, but I felt like she wasn't quite qualified to talk about the stuff she wanted to talk about. And it was oh no, kind of yeah. it was yeah, now, it was kind of like turning turning me off because it was like she was feeling her way to stuff that she really thought about. It seems like you know, I would say, I would say not that she wasn't qualified. I would say that she didn't seem that she was that inve- she wasn't that invested into those conversations to the extent that she had large amounts of information on the topics that she was speaking on so like anytime it would carry over into like many of the topics it didn't seem like she had like like for example if she was talking about something political like it didn't seem like she did enough background work to like understand like you know political systems or political theory or like but, no, even but, like, but, but 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 that's what they about unqualified. It seems to me like what you describe is the same as unqualified. Like she didn't do enough work on the. I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, like I think we're saying the same thing in different ways. Like she didn't really. She was just kind of freestyling it, and I'm like, okay, this is, this is something that you need to work out before you get on the air. Like you're you don't really know what you're talking about, really. Like like you're curious about it, but you're not. I don't want to spend yeah. a half hour, but then again, Twitter's like that. Twitter, like, you have no qualification on something, and you just tweet a tweet a thread on it. So I guess it works for that. Audience. Yeah, I was just saying, like, about the qualification thing. I was just saying, like, I, I really don't care whether somebody speaks on something or not. I just, you know, like, you know, I, I feel like people can be qualified to talk about anything, but you're basically saying, like, you should have. You're basically saying, like, you should have some, like. Information on that makes you qualified to have that conversation. Oh, 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 I think well, I see where this connect is. I think you're thinking more on the credentials when I say qualified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I see what you mean. Yeah, I agree. You don't have to be credentialed because there's plenty of Ivy League people who have yeah. PhDs in certain topics and still have no place to be talking about them. And there's people mm-hmm. who have, like, you know, dropped out of high school who I will listen to talk about topics all the time because they have an actual yeah. curiosity to learn. So, so yeah. I agree with your credentials. I, I'm not talking about anybody's uh, credentials. I just mean qualified as in you Informed. haven't done. Yeah, yeah, you haven't done, okay. done your homework. We agree yeah. there. Then, yeah, yeah. In that sense, then she was very much. In that sense, she was very much unqualified to speak on a lot of those topics. And um, yeah, it just seemed like she wasn't really prepared. But because she's like, I believe she does comedy and like she writes her own skits and stuff like that. And you know, she's queer, and so like they, you know, they were willing to like, you know be like, okay, you know, she can, she's diverse enough to speak on all of these subjects, and I feel like, you know, mm, that's uh, a good point. Like, funny. You think just because her, her identity, that almost, you know, made her an expert, because, yeah, that's true. If if your identity makes you an expert on stuff, then if you have three or four marginalized identities, then you must be the most expert person in town. Exactly. So, like, it's just like when they get any, you know, they get a black person, up, oh, he can speak on this black issue. You know what I'm saying? And so if you get someone who's black, queer, dark skinned, um, you know, 
uh, fat, you know, oh, they can't go no wrong in this. They can't. Oh, yeah, you're, you're, no you're, you're right. The weight gives you a kind of moral authority, too. Like, the only thing missing was not being uh, disabled somehow, because that's something else that I mean, thing happens, too. I guess it depends on how you, how you view. Yeah. View being overweight. So, like, yeah. Yeah, and it's like so you know those those markers sort of like at least this is this is what I think how at least white people see it. She can say whatever she wants that won't involve her being canceled because she's all of these things. You know what I'm saying? It's sort of like how they think that white people think that they can they can find a black person to say anti-black shit, um, and because they're black. Um, black people can't really be offended or, you know what I'm saying? Like something like that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So. <laughs> you know what else, you know what else too, I think is part of the problem is, uh, ever since the daily show and John Stewart and Stephen Colbert, there's become this kind of intellectual veneration of comedians that people just somehow think comedians are just the natural, um, insightful truth sayers of society, like you know the gestures mm-hmm. speaking truth to power. Like this become this right. overestimation of the intellect of the comedian, particularly if you're uh, a liberal um, comedian. You know, so it's like because there's so many comedians now who their whole shtick is to just be, you know, tellers of the truth, and they have some of the most banal right. observations I've, I've, I've ever. Scene. I think that's another thing that's kind of uh, hurting people like Sam Jay in that arena, where it's like, okay, mm-hmm. you have a combination of standpoint theory where, you know, if you have the identity, you're an automatic expert on everything with the identity, even if you've done no mm-hmm. actual deep thinking in the matter. And you're also ostensibly a comedian. So not, now you really must be speaking truth to power. Like, you know, for example, right. there was, yeah, so I, so I think a lot of that happens too, where it just the fact that a comedian saying it also is somehow now supposed to make the point um, deeper than it actually right. is, and it's it's usually it's not always even that, that deep. Adage. It's that a day to you know, like in all jokes, there's some form of truth, right? So comedians yeah. must be truth tellers, right? <laughs> so it's like when it's like we that's a fallacy, but it's just like it's oh just, yeah, totally. It's just funny, yeah. It's um, it's just interesting, you know, how that has become the thing. And I may be wrong on this, but isn't that how sort of like that's how black comedy emerges in a in a, in a very, which is very unique to black comedy? Because like black comedy, for most for the most part, has always been uh, pretty much you know conditioned on a lot of social issues. And so I don't think comedy was necessarily engaged with a lot of like what we would call social justice issues until you get like these black comedians, um, you know, like a, uh, Dick Gregory, Dick, Dick Gregory, Gregory was or, one, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think, um, I think Sanford did I think, um, Detroit red, uh, not Detroit red, Jesus, I'm thinking about Malcolm X, but, um, red, the, the one that did red uh, Fox. Sanford is son, red Fox. And, um, um, his stuff was more straight up raunchy, but, um, mm-hmm. What's his? What's it? Richard Pryor used to have a lot of uh, social. Yeah, commentary. Richard Pryor had some. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he yeah, some. yeah. Mixed it, mixed in, mixed in with his stuff. Uh, Q's joining us. What's going on? And, hey, sorry about sorry about that. I because uh, the drop squad show is usually at nine thirty, and I've just had so much like 
uh, shows that I've had to be on today. I am re- my my sincere apologies for everyone uh, to everyone for not being on earlier. Oh, well, okay. I feel, I feel, but, um, I feel like you're on a, I feel like you're on a show you. every time I look at Colin. What's that? <laughs> so, I feel like you're on a show like every time I look at Colin today. Yeah, I mean, today, I, I it literally like four different shows, including this one. Damn. Yeah. Nigga said he making that, that chicken. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was just saying, like, I think black comedy is unique in that way. And so now, you know... Um, and, and, you know, some people didn't engage in that thing. Like, Eddie Murphy wasn't really big on bringing politics to his comedy. And I think he's, I think Eddie Murphy's my personal stand-up goat. And Oh, my um, oh my God, he's so good. I, I was re-watching yeah, yeah. his old stuff the other day. It ages, like, surprise. Even his offensive stuff. Like, he's an example of someone that you can say the joke is offensive, but it's funny. You know, people say punching down right. is never funny. But uh, right. that honeymooners... He had a honeymooners uh, skill. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, the Ralphie boy. Um, yeah. Oh when he's talking God. about Ralph and, or like Mr. T. Hey, boy. Yeah. You look mighty cute in them jeans. His Ralph like that? Cramden yeah. voice is so fucking good. I can't believe how good his Ralph Cramden voice is and the Norton voice. And it's a total punching down joke, but it's fucking hilarious. I can't. I can't lie. It's undeniable. Yeah, but that's story. definitely my goat. That's definitely my uh. Comedy. No, I, I agree. But then you get people, people. But then you get people like Dave Chappelle, who engages in like social commentary and, I mean, what we would call social justice discourse, engaging in his comedy. So it's like, but I think black people are unique and sort of like they, black comedy sort of like emerge at least black stand-up comedy emerged in engaging political and social discourse. And now you have people who think that that's what comedy does. They've conflated those two. Like, that is what comedy does. Like, I, comedy must engage. I think, a, I think a yeah. difference, too, is that those guys, well, two things. They always try to be funny first. Like, you know, they didn't just try to do a TED, TED Talk. But they also, I think it was folksy. And I think folksy uh, education, like, like Will Rogers was a white guy who kind of did that. Uh, Will Rogers was uh, this white comedian who had, like, a homespun type of um earnest everyman country type of wisdom he's like a, a white southern guy and but his wisdom was like very folk folksy whereas these people are like phd candidate jokes like like, like they're trying to <laughs> yeah, yeah. be very didactic and fill in all these points like i was watching amber ruffin and it's hilarious but it's so true yeah, she, I was watching Amber Ruffin, and she was she was trying, and uh, the guy Hassan Minaj tried to do this too. I was watching Hassan Minaj, right, and he had this show. I forgot what it was called. It was on Netflix, and I watched like one or two episodes, and sometimes the episodes were actually kind of good as far as far as information. And he was just jamming all this information in, and I'm like, oh, this is an interesting talk. And he would keep fucking it up by trying to throw in a one liner, and the one liner would just kind of derail. And I was like, dude, just do a TED Talk. Like, you don't have to be a comedian to give a point. Like, why don't you just have a a one-hour show where you just educate people on things? But for some reason, you can't do that anymore. You have to be a comedian dropping knowledge. You can't just be a smart guy dropping right. knowledge. So I'm like, this show would be better if you just made a one-hour show about the decline of newspapers or a one-hour show yeah. about this. But instead, he would just keep doing these, like, information-packed TED Talks. They're like graphs in the background popping up on the screen and and data tables. And then an occasional, like, zinger 
every two minutes like a metronome, like like clockwork. And you could almost hear the rim shot. It was just very derailing. I think that's kind of the problem too, is that now even the black people who will try to do this stuff do it in the TED Talk um, um, informational way and not like in the folksy wisdom way. I think the folksy way integrates itself very naturally to uh, the standard format. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, Chris, you're talking going? about Patriot Act, right? Yeah, that's that's what it's called. Yeah, I remember that. It, it has the uh, the John Oliver problem where it's like it's basically a new show with a few jokes thrown in, and it's better off just trying to be news that may accidentally be funny. But the fact, that yeah, exactly. Funny, uh, yeah, it's, it's got the balance. Yeah, and, and it's like it tries to. You know, sitcoms have to have a laugh a certain amount of time every minute or something. I, I forgot to talk a formula about how far apart the joke should be on a sitcom that you're supposed to follow if you write for a sitcom. And they try to do that for these shows. But the problem is with a sitcom, you can naturally integrate a laugh a minute very easily. But for a college professor lecture, it's not easy to organically put a laugh a minute. And that's why no, I'm you're basically, on. you're basically like, uh, you know, you're, you're giving, you're delivering a thesis and that's what a lot of this comedy is now. Like this Hassan Minhaj type of Aziz Ansari, uh, um, I forget the, the lady who does uh Nanette. Um, Hannah Gatsby. but it, it's, it's Hannah Gatsby. That's right. Yeah. So like it, uh, a lot of it is like delivering a thesis, and supporting arguments and punctuating each paragraph with an attempt at a joke. And it's, it's t- cause it's like, if I go in to a comedy club or if I put on a comedy special, like I'm there to fucking laugh. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I already do enough reading. I already get enough political education in my life. I don't need to go into it. And half the time when comedians try to do this political education shit, they get half of the stuff wrong. Anyway, just, just say some shit that makes me laugh. You know what I mean? Niggas say you know I'm already too smart. <laughs> uh, when you guys, when you guys said they're trying to be academic, what I realized is, you know, a lot of people knows a lot of people. Like you know how back in the day, uh, like comedians used to be like real, uh, to you know, for lack of a better word, like losers of society. They're like drunks or, you know, drug addicts, and they just, they just you know, happen to. Find mm. Or just, or, or just blue collar, or just, you yeah, know, just. But now they're very well educated. I just realized what they're all trying to be is that like cool professor who happened to be a little bit more hip than everyone else in the faculty. And I, I think these are what these people are trying to be. They remember that, you know, cool poli-sci professor or sociology professor they once had. And they're like, yeah, I, w- I want to be him or her. And that's why their act is so. It's yeah. Like, like, yeah I, I, didn't, I didn't need to turn on a, I didn't need to turn on a comedy special to find out why Van Gogh is problematic. Right. Like what, yeah. the, the guys, the guys been dead for hundreds of years. We're going to fucking cancel them now. Like I, I don't, I don't care. And there's also a correlation there between like when even when like, you know, people do sketches now that are sort of like problematic to black people. And now, you know, they'll say, well, the reason why you didn't get it was because you're just not smart enough because there's this or you didn't get the joke because you can't comprehend this level of art, whatever the case may be. And there's like oh, I hate that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The assumption that black people are just too stupid to get things because they've been hanging around all their white friends and because they feel like they've been elevated by hanging around their white friends, that they've learned some things and it's their job to come back and teach the rest of us unwashed masses when in reality, they don't know half of the shit that like your average working class black person knows. Right. 
exactly just by 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 experience but it's just so funny because now you you basically get the other tail end of that where you know now comedians have to be professors with a phd and they're not even the funniest people in their family and now they're trying to make you know millions of other people laugh <laughs> oh my god Rennie, what you were just saying that was a conversation that chris and i were having i was like these people, when they were growing up, they were not the class clowns. They were the person that, when the class clown made a joke, uh, not even not the class clown, they weren't even the person who laughed at the class clown. They were the person saying, like, I'm trying to learn, you know? Teacher, right, he's right, making right. jokes again. Like, like, they were that person. But <laughs> at some point, they realized becoming a comedian was the easiest way to break into entertainment. And now they decided to take classes and become comedians, and they still have that hollow monitor energy. But as a comedian, and it just doesn't uh, work. And that's why all the like, jokes that were about canceling people, like that Van Gogh or, or that Picasso was a sexist joke, but I had a gasp. It's just hollow monitor energy. Like it's not like, well, yeah. What are we supposed to do with that exactly? But like, uh, the, um, remember uh, that comedian? I think she was like of South Asian background, and she was talking about how you know she was dating some white dude, and then you know they couldn't make it work as a long-term that relationship. Is, that does that narrow it down as far as women of color comics? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he like, he dropped her and then he, he married uh, some white girl. Um, so she was upset that like, uh, she tried to like teach him about like uh, spices and like, you know, actual like tasty cuisine. Oh, yeah, I remember and then this. he dropped her for like a bland white girl. Remember that? And it's just like half of the time it's like trying to give you a Ted talk slash, um, like Pete, our academic lecture, and then the other half of the time, it's like tr uh, trying to force political comment to their Terry through their failed interpersonal relationships, which aren't actually funny but really sad. It's self-deprecating, but in an unintentional way, almost because they're trying to make it seem like the person was a loser and not them, but. But they end up revealing us, yeah, and this loser, this person was such a loser that, you know, um, I don't have an example with one of them, but I could use the example that's famous on Twitter of, of Elon James White and the... Um, oh, the Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving dinner? Thanksgiving oh. And he, he was thinking that he was making, like, black men and white racists look bad. So, so you know, he's talking about, yeah, when I was going through it with my uh, white wife's uh, family at the time, uh, girlfriend, uh, it wasn't black men that held me down. No, they were two um, blah, 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 whatever. It was black women that held me down. So when they made me eat in the porch, uh, <laughs> instead of eating inside the house, you know, it was my black women friends that, that and the things you were saying, was like, dude, you're making yourself look, everyone that you say is uh, supposed to be looking bad from this story. Uh, this woke, this woke pandering stories of yours, and he ended up getting run off of Twitter. He even just killed his career. What does he even do anymore? I don't even hear him anymore. Um, I I don't know. Like he had a podcast with um, Imani Gandhi, and she, she after that she kind of went off and did her own thing. Like it was sort of like a uh, she went from like a comedy podcast to sort of like a legal and political podcast. Like very briefly after that, you know, she got out of there. And yeah, the, yeah, 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 but he was appearing like MSNBC on panels and stuff like that. Oh he, yeah, he was. He was on. The, he was on the come up, and he just committed like a, a career sepulchre with that suicide. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's the thing is like um, that's one of the problems. Um, I mean, you've talked about this a lot, and that's that like a lot of people's politics are 
deeply driven by their unexamined sexual dysfunction and their unrequited unrequited desires so like when when that lady uh was delivering that stand-up and she talked about how she thought she was like you know going to like you know uh like reverse colonize this white dude um by feeding him tasty food and then he just drops her and uh goes for some white girl and said like there is no way on earth you could i don't care if you like put me in a black site in Bahrain somewhere and had people like putting splinters under my fingernails. You could, you could never, you couldn't waterboard that information out of me. And it, it used to be like people were able to exercise some degree of self-respect and no one to keep things to themselves, but no one has the capacity to do that anymore. They just volunteer this information because it's almost like we're rather than engaging in some form of um, political activism that at least focuses the energy on, uh, like where the oppressor's vulnerable vectors are. It's like, if we just make ourselves super vulnerable or if we like expose the right kind of vulnerability or make ourselves vulnerable in a way that gets people to listen, then somehow we'll win because we'll be pitied enough for them to stop oppressing us. And I think that's kind of where that was coming from with Elon James White's story that he was doing the like black male vulnerability plus trying to uplift black women. And he just ended up making himself look like a cook. But, but we just... Article. Oh, no, um, I was going to say, you know, what's interesting about that point, though, is that I think you can do that type of stuff. Like, I don't think you should never admit that type of stuff. But if you're going to admit it, you should have a like a point to it, like an actual insight to it. Um, and you should be able to um, be self-aware that you came off looking like horrible in it and. The example I'll give is uh no I, my... I I I will say where it comes to the internet broadly, don't be vulnerable and don't share those things. Uh, I think oh, yeah, people oh. people people yeah. want the internet the internet to be a safe space where people can actually like share things and open up and like uh, raise awareness and have deep conversations. But that's not all it all it does is expose you. Yeah, no, 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 I didn't mean the internet. Uh, I was talking more about the stand-up example. Oh, okay, okay. About the girl stand-up, even though she did share the stand-up on the internet, so it does kind of veer into the internet, but I just mean in the vacuum of the stand-up show. Um, my friend Michael has that play, uh, Strange Loop, and in it, he talks about having a hookup with um, a white guy, and the, um, the white guy subjected him to like this kind of race play in the act, and he kind of went along with it. And when I was watching it, I was like, oh, my God, he's actually, like, admitting this on stage? Like, you know, and it was like my instinct was kind of, like, uh, cringe. I couldn't believe it. But then he spends the rest of the show unpacking what got him there and how much shame he felt around it. And he's like, why did I do that? And he was very, very unsparing to himself. And he goes through, like, you know, this whole journey. But also this happened, like, Something like fifteen. It was like a long time ago that it happened. But he's being out of. And then, but the thing with these people is, they cannot be vulnerable or let themselves like they're fake vulnerable. Like they're vulnerable only for accident. Because even as they're playing themselves, they think they're playing the other person. Like that woman, she didn't use that story to give any insight about. Wow, I was an idiot. She did it because she thinks that she's somehow getting the audience to gang up on her ex with her and leave her off the hook and she's just telling the story uh to kind of affirm herself and to make the audience like her 
her accomplices. And I think that's why it doesn't work. And the audience ends up, you know, or at least anybody sensible in the audience ends up like clowning her, like, you know, like the problem is not him. The problem is you, you big dummy, you know, but um, like, like the way Michael did it, but these people don't have the guts to do what he did there, you know? And that was the only example I've seen of it uh, work. But when you see these other things where they do stuff like that, or like, for example, slave play, where at the end, the whole point of it is to kind of say, actually, I'm the good one. I did everything right. You're the bad one. And um, I'm actually awesome. That's the only thing that these people can actually do with themselves because art to them is about affirming and validating themselves 24 seven and just constant cope. Yeah, there, there's an article, I forget where it might've been on maybe slate or something, but it was all about how, like there are a lot of shows now about women comedians and they all have the same message. Have you guys seen hacks? It's a show on HBO. I heard of it, but uh, I, didn't. I haven't seen it. Okay. So the, the gist of it is there's this old, uh, kind of like, I guess like this old, uh, older female comedian. She's, she like is out in Las Vegas, but you know, she, her stuff's getting stale. So she hires this young woman who's gotten canceled. I forget for what reason. So she, no, nobody. Oh, will oh, 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 hacks. Yeah. Hacks. Oh, okay. I think you said, I think you said hacks. I think you're talking about this, this witchcraft show that oh, I saw no, people no. talking about, um, Oh, but 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 hacks. Yeah, it has Gene Smart in it, and yeah, a, a, a lot of blue check white people. Right, and and uh, and the way that the older comedian finally like, refines her voice is she starts basically talking about her like uh, all the ways that her ex-husband, who's played by Christopher McDonald, wronged her. So I, I mean, I, I think that's just one of the main examples she, uh, the writer gives. But I've actually seen that show, so uh, I, I'll. I use that as an example, but I, I think this is what people, uh, especially uh, young female comedians are being told is that you have to mine your personal relationships to, to the, or help, you know, actually, you know that, um, I mean, we were talking about South Asian female comedians that Abby Govindan, who is often like pops up on my timeline for some reason. Uh, I think other people retweet her, but she said something very telling where she said something like, I, Basically, like, if I stop um, tweeting about dating white dudes whom I may not even be dating, uh, my engagement goes way down. So it's like, even if she weren't, like, doing that or what uh, other, like, female comedians were doing, that's, I guess, kind of what sells for them. So, and then you got all the, the culture around the telling this is, this is actually, like, feminist to always be talking about your failed relationships, so... It's so interesting how these people are only ever insightful or illuminating by accident. <laughs> like, like they, they always end up. The most interesting thing they always say is always what they say when they think they're revealing something else. Uh, there, uh, there's actually one thing um, that uh, I kind of missed before in previous discussions we had about this, but I, I'm starting to see more evidence of it, which is that. Have you noticed that in a lot of movies, um, whether it's like uh, Captain Marvel or the new Charlie's Angels or um, the Eternals, there's like uh, there's not exactly a character arc. Oh, uh, the Star Wars uh, sequels are notorious for this, where the protagonist doesn't actually experience any character development because the protagonist doesn't really have any flaws and the, they don't overcome challenges and obstacles 
So there's no there's no journey where they're like uh, you know up against a more powerful or smarter enemy, and then they experience a massive setback and then have to do something to develop themselves in order to overcome that. And I think it's that also, was a problem yeah. with, with, with Ray, but but you couldn't call her a Mary Sue because Mary Sue's become like a, a a misogynist slur. Like it's actually a slur now to say. But I'm like, no, that's a textbook Mary Sue. Like her very first fight, she, she wins it. Mary Sue's after using the force for like five minutes. Like, I've 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 been able to I've been beginning to circumvent that by just saying self insert, and people haven't really been catching on to that. But it's exactly the same thing, which is that. Um, the character doesn't experience hardships and they're sort of like too good for the world, like the fictional world that they're in. They're just not ready for them. And Ray is like prototypical for that. But I think it's also coming out in comedy as well in the sense that like, you know, I, I think to your point, T, regarding um, vulnerability in comedy, part of it is that uh, as, as you're talking about your friend Michael explaining the story, it's not just that um, he's vulnerable and uh taking the piss out of himself. It's also that there's something that he learned from that experience and that he had to overcome within himself. Whereas in that uh, stand up that we were just discussing, there is nothing to be overcome. The butt of the joke is that like, Oh, this, this white dude uh, treated you like trash and left you. Well, you know, too bad for him. And there's no, everything's about what the person who wronged him had to learn to overcome, you right. know? So, so it's about what the white guy didn't know or his ignorance or his lack of, wokeness they're they're the ray and they're the ones who are schooling everybody uh else right so the the issue is um like an element of comedy is that there is something like there's an observation that you make uh like when you're trying to be vulnerable there's an observation that you make that is self-deprecatory in a way that makes you look bad and then you realize oh shoot i've messed up i need to learn from this thing or even if it's like you know, one of those like old school hack comedians that's like making jokes about their, you know, their intolerable wife. There's still always, there, there seems to be still like an element of self-awareness. Like, oh yeah, I, I am a, a terrible person. It's just that um, be, me being a terrible person, I find myself unable to, I don't know, like stand women or like be able to be around minorities and so on. But they, but they know, I think, uh, I, I think they know when their audience knows that they're also terrible. Um. I we had a caller and I forgot the name, but they disappeared. I, I don't know what happened to them. I hope they didn't get. I think that was K. If you want to come back, okay, uh, K. Did you knock yourself down on purpose, or do you want to come back up? I don't know. But um, what you guys are talking about remind me of something I heard a critic say once, and I thought it was so insightful that like I always remembered it. Uh, but they were criticizing one of these things. Uh, Chris was talking about how these women are taught that's supposed to mine their stuff for um you know content but this guy was criticizing one of these autobiographic graphic novels and he said the problem with this um story it was it was like a memoir it says it's about something painful and it's it was it was born it was born from something painful like it was caused by something painful that happened to the writer. It's about that something painful, you know, because it's like you'd be born for something painful, but you make it about something else, you know, as, as a disguise. But, you know, but he said, I always made these the three elements to, to keep in mind in the future. He said, it was born from something painful, and it's about that something painful, but it has absolutely nothing insightful to say about that something painful 
outside of the fact that it happened. And I was like, you know, that's really the three, the three part test, I think, you know, like, uh, you know, did you actually have any personal experience with what you're writing about? Uh, did you describe it correctly? And do you have any insight that you have processed from it? You know, outside of the fact that it happened and you're traumatized by it. But for a lot of people, that's the whole point. This happened and it was bad. And that confers some sort of nobility on me for um, surviving it. So now please clap for me. And that's not really good even for drama, but even much less for comedy. That does not sound funny. No, I mean, not, not only is it not funny, I think it also teaches the audience some very bad lessons. I one of them and this is again like this narrative exists in like popular culture film tv etc and that's that like there's nothing that you have to do to ever work on yourself like whatever it is that happens uh to you and around you that you find wrong well it's everybody else's problem because you're awesome and there's like yeah it's it's, it's like speaking speaking of the it's your awesome thing that self-criticism that is there is kind of fake because what the self-criticism will be to tie into your awesome point it'll be like I didn't realize how awesome I was. Oh yeah, it'll be like the, it'll be like the Whatever. yeah the, the the question in the job interview. You know, like what is your weakest trait? Oh, you know, I micromanage too much, or oh, you know, I care um, too much. I can be a bit of a control freak. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like my but, big flaw was I didn't realize that I deserve more, and I'm the prize, and I'm I'm great. Like, okay, yeah, awesome. yeah, and and like yeah, this like sort of like toxic self affirmative culture um, is it's like rife in in media and i guess like to take it back to the point um especially where it comes to that show bust down it's like the people that are supposed to um be able to not only like self-deprecate have no ability to do so like the ones that should be putting themselves down i.e i don't know a black man that experienced sexual assault in his workplace well he's supposed to be putting himself down but look at him like bigging himself up and the other people that should be getting um you know, like more shine to speak on his issue and to broader systemic issues. Well, if you just like step aside and let them do their work, then we as a community move forward. So it's like, so they have no ability to self-investigate or to exercise some degree of uh, introspection, uh, but they shouldn't have to because they're awesome as it is. But the people who should be doing that don't have the capability to it. And that's why the world. Uh, something that's great now is that we actually have three people who have seen at least one episode of bust down. So I actually want to hear what um, you guys thought about uh, the show because Twitter was making me crazy because every two minutes there's just somebody saying uh, this is hilarious or this is laugh out loud funny. I I I'm, I, I can't breathe. And I'm like, you guys have got, all got to be paid. I refuse to believe you. Can... Like, like the connotations of of that that just sounds very tasteless. Oh, oh, but I can't. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not even exaggerating the description just now. Like that is actually the narrative thread for the first episode. Um, as to what I think of it so far, it's like it's not even just that uh, people who are um, you know clapping and and talking about like how they, they they're they're wheezing and you know uh, Jesus, please be an oxygen tank or whatever. It's not even just that they're, they're, they might be paid. It's also that I think they themselves are trying to ingratiate themselves. I, I think like, I don't know, uh, social media has turned everything into an audition. And just the way that people talk now, it's like they're trying to be discovered by somebody or trying to like make friends with somebody that can, you know, pull them up from where they are and, you know, give them like help them get the bag and get their come up.
What's but what's made it worse is that it's actually worked a handful of times. Like like Lovey basically got put on by recapping and uh, kissing ass to the scandal people on on social media, and that basically started her career. Uh, this writer who was recapping and constantly praising Issa Rae got um, picked up by her management company and is now working on her own stuff. So all you need is a couple of examples the way the internet works. And one million people will try. Even if there was three out of a thousand people that tried that strategy, that's enough to fuel the next million. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically the way that capitalism works. Like everybody is trying to win the, like everybody, everybody's like trying to strike it big and trying to win the lottery. And I, I remember this was like a huge thing during the, uh, the late nineties and early two thousands. Uh, it was that like, everyone was trying to sound like a finance pundit. This is back when like, Jim Cramer was like, I don't even know how the hell this happened, but Jim Cramer was like one of the the, the most like um, highly rated uh, TV shows in, in terms of viewership for cable news. And everybody was talking like a finance bro. And I, I think it took um, the 2008 financial crash to get people to come back down to earth. I remember one time I was watching Jim Cramer's show. Back, back then I was working in the finance industry, so you couldn't avoid it, right? So um, I remember when the, the crash happened, this person called in. And she was confused because uh, why is it that, you know, Goodyear has like very good, um, it has like very good fundamentals. Like it's got, you know, great market cap and, you know, their, uh, their, their dividends are healthy. Um, you know, their, uh, their debt ratio is low and so on and so on. Like the, the, this lady caller was explaining all these good things about Goodyear and couldn't for the life of her understand why it was that Goodyear stock was tanking. And I was waiting for him to say it, and he had to dance around it for a couple of seconds before he actually came out. That is Jim Cramer. came out and said, well, yes, but that's because the auto companies require bailouts right now, so the cars aren't being produced. So it's like if, you can't, if you're a tire manufacturer but nobody's making cars, then how are you going to sell tires? And uh, I think that we haven't really like, – I don't even know if we have the ability to come back down to earth in the cultural conversations because what, what bubble bursting is there – like. What bubble is there to burst to get people to understand that as much as they might dig this culture and be able to speak the language, they're actually terrible. Like not only they're they terrible critics, but they're actually like causing uh, this form these forms of media to remain infantile and never grow because they they can't form proper criticisms of it. Yeah, I think people nowadays don't even know what art is supposed to do. I think they think art is just exists to mirror and affirm them. So it's like, you have whole articles by paid critics at that place like the Washington Post and New York times who will praise a show. Like they're counting off a quota list. Like this show is great. It had a lesbian, a trans person, a fat person. And it's like, there's no talk about themes. It's talking about what the show was trying to say is it was, it's like, it's like an HR. It's like an HR um, year review. It's, it's just like, you know, we hired this many people and these no like these yeah. movies have fandoms like there are there are critics that when a new marvel movie comes out i can absolutely count on opening um i can absolutely count on opening x y and z publications and knowing which film critic is going to say what about the movie and you, you know you know it's weird so i'm on rotten tomatoes right now bust down has been out for a week still no critic reviews and this thing was apparently produced by Lorne Michaels. So this isn't some under-the-radar 
uh, indie thing that you know uh, a mainstream critic wouldn't have time for. I gotta believe it's hard because like they're afraid. Like, they're afraid no, to like, actually a, no criticize critic. the thing. Yeah. Like a, no critic wants to criticize it, and b, the the show makers don't want any critics to actually review it uh, honestly because it would be mm. a handful. A handful of white critics have reviewed it. They haven't turned up in Rotten Tomatoes, but they uh, tweeted they tweeted the reviews on uh, Twitter, and then I read them and. I only found like three, and they were all kind of um, fawning, but um, three is not a lot for a show, you know, co-created, I mean, produced by Lauren Michaels, and and with like two or three Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live related people people on it, and Freddie Gibbs, and all the, all this other stuff. It, it's not on Metacritic either. I looked on Metacritic for it. Because sometimes Rotten Tomatoes doesn't have as as much TV as it has movies, but Metacritic usually has more TV stuff. So it wasn't on Rotten uh, Tomatoes, and it wasn't on um, Metacritic. You're absolutely uh, right. But did you laugh at any point in it, uh, Chris? No, the whole thing just actually made me very depressed. Just because it's like, it was so not well done. And I, I was just thinking, these people... Probably not. I mean, like, the actors are probably, they, they worked hard. They're probably, like, well-trained and everything. They've got to know that this is, like, on the level of, I don't know, some, like, like college film project kind of thing. It's like, this is just really just sad to watch. And Peacock itself is a depressing platform because they just have nothing good on. So they're really desperately trying to make it seem as if... Um, it, also, it also feels like, not just a college film project, but it feels like middle-class... Um, black students that got into, uh, you know, like uh, high-ranking colleges, that are like reaching for black in inauth- or black authenticity by saying the n-word a lot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, and, yeah, the, yeah. There was like, a, a complete. When you see when you're drinking, you drinking forties, that I was like, who drinks forties? <laughs> I don't know nobody that. So, yeah. Um, that, that the scene that just. Like, I don't even, like, I love hate watching. I can't even hate watch this because it's, I just say, it's, it's like really depressing just to watch it. But the scene that was just like, are you kidding me? Is the scene where they're all in the backyard. I forget who's, they're like sitting on some junk car. And then they start getting into the whole, um, you know, black women actually started a Black Lives Matter thing. And there was a recent article I read, which says something, it, I think the title was something like, like the real silent majority is like the people who don't tweet. And that was obviously such like, like a Twitter point of contention i feel like i'm like if these are really four working class black people in, in gary indiana would they really care about you know like which intersectional group started black lives matter and it's like a twitter fight it's like law firm partners are fighting over origination credit that's like a very i think media culture class thing for people to worry about well i mean i, I don't know if you like uh i got into uh actually i shouldn't even say a spat because like I, I i i had a couple of back and forth tweets and i was like ah screw it i'm just gonna leave it up you know and people can argue amongst themselves but like uh there was a a 15 year old girl um that the media uh reported her name is child q where um a police in hackney in uh in in, in uh in england uh, strip searched the girl and you know she happened to be on her period and they like went all through her hair and everything and they made her like like completely stripped down it was absolutely egregious and so the community response was to um engage in protests and talk about like you know how black children are disproportionately targeted for strip searching because in the year 20 like this happened in the year 2020 
And that year, I think in that um, area alone, there were like uh, 24 or 25 uh, strip searches of children that took place. Um, the plurality of them were black boys. Uh, and then there was Child Q. And I think it generated outrage just because of how like, you know, graphic and invasive it was. Um, and also, I think there's, there's also some degree of like, when it happens to a black girl, it's, a, it's a, I don't know, there's like a different visceral response to it. But, uh, you know, when, when people to be, it's thought to be sexual when it's, when it's a woman, because we take, we yeah. take anything gender to mean female. So there's an added component of sexuality or sexual vulnerability when, when, well, I mean, there, there is woman. definitely, there is definitely sexual vulnerability when it comes to like an adult, like telling a 15 year old girl to completely strip down. Um, no, 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 I'm not yeah. denying that. I'm, I'm just suggesting that, um, stop and frisk in its like, in its most you know, mundane format is still a sexual violence. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No matter who it's going to Yeah. Yeah. So, like, uh, people were upset that it wasn't um, targeted towards black girls. We're talking about, like, the vulnerability of black girls to strip searches. It was black children in general. And I'm like, it is the most deranged fucking thing to um, try to divide your advocacy for black children down gender lines. I can somewhat understand where it comes to adults, but where it comes to children, the primary vulnerability they experience is not their gender. The primary vulnerability that they experience is their childhood. And there, like, there isn't a, like, there isn't a differentiation or there aren't like quantitatively worse things that black boys experience in black girls. And there are not quantitatively worse things that black girls experience in black boys where it comes to physical violence, where it comes to emotional violence, or psychological violence, sexual violence, etc. You know, these are fairly bog standard and fairly well distributed, and it's also wildly disproportionate um, throughout the gender expression of Black children. So the idea that something should be like uh, cordoned off for Black girls in particular, when, as far as I understand, this was the sole Black girl um, that was strip searched, it, it, and the, the majority of them were Black boys. Like I can understand highlighting how, uh, di like how Child Q experienced the violence of that strip search, uh, due to the added vulnerability of her gender. What I don't understand is the idea that this is something that should be categorically distinct from black boys and should be advocated for separately. I thought that is absolutely deranged, and people were so mad at me for saying that. And my thought is like. There is absolutely nobody that I will ever encounter in my day-to-day -day life that if I told them, oh, people are mad because it was uh, for black children and not black girls specifically, they'd be like, oh, well, that makes that makes sense. They'd be like, well, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, if, if like black children are experiencing a problem, it's because they're black children, not because they're black boys or girls. And I think what, ha what happens is that like we um, people will take their understanding of gender um, – from adulthood and their hangups on gender differentiation and uh, gender issues with black people, and then transpose that onto children as if that's safe or uh, thoughtful or healthy to do when the reason that children grow into adults with these established gender roles is because adults project gender onto children and project gender roles and gender vulnerabilities on children. So what does it say if like you're doing it from the point of view of an advocate, it's like, oh, we have to advocate for black girls specifically. Okay. Why? If you're the same person that is saying that uh, assigning gender roles is unhealthy. You know what I mean?
Yeah, for, yeah, for sure. I mean, were people giving me a lot of hard time about that? People were so. I mean, you know when people get mad at me, the kind of stuff that comes up this? immediately, right? But this was today. Oh, yeah, um, yeah it, it, it was very weird. I yeah, mean, you, you know, like, you know what, you know what exactly. Like, you know, people like start bringing up whenever um, people get when folks get mad at me, and I'm just like, ah, whatever. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm well over it. Like, but the the fact was, it wasn't so much that people were bringing stuff up. It was just like. I don't understand how it is that you are so upset about me pointing this out when I, I guarantee you, you go out and you talk to anybody in the community about this and try to give them that point of view. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, I agree. I think the specificity, I think you can highlight the fact that this, this specific thing happened to a black girl and you could talk about the specificity of how that looks for black girls more broadly. But when you think about things in, you know, the grand scheme of things, the same thing with police killings, right? It's like, you could talk about black people being killed by the police, but then when you start to ag- disaggregate the numbers, 97% of those black people are black males. And it's like, well, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> are we going to have that conversation or are we just going to act like that this is a black people thing? You know what I'm no, saying? But, yeah, but so, to the point, like, when uh, Chris was saying that, um, you know, this, this is like, uh, you know, uh, lawyers advocating for um, proper credits to be assigned, it's like, why, like, why is it important to you that like understanding who started these movements is important right. at all when the issue that we're talking about is black people dying so to say well the people that stepped up and started advocating on behalf of dead black people are this demographic of black people when it's like yeah that's all well and good but they're actually alive to do so i think we should probably uh give some thought and credence not to like who should get credit for advocating but who is affected by that type of violence. I really worry about what kind of TV show is going to come oh, out. Oh, yeah, T, black. just wanted to say, I got to drop out now, but thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. No, bye, everyone. Have a great night. Yeah, good chatting to you again, All man. Right. Take, take care. Yeah. Um, black, this is a black British conversation, and I got to say, they are much more deranged than even their American oh, counterparts. The, I don't know. The, the don't UK? Know those crumpets. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's in those damn crumpets. I don't know if they, they they got some bad some bad uh, bar curry or something. I don't know what they did. The UK is... and South Africa are on a next level. <laughs> Holy smokes! Holy. I've just had, I've had to just write off South Africa altogether, man. I don't even. I haven't I haven't been there myself, so hopefully, like, <laughs> hopefully the know. offline people you meet are not like that. But oh my goodness, online not South Africans. I'm apart only for intersectionalities to take them out. Like, <laughs> like that makes no sense to me. Like, yeah. like they survive some of the most heinous stuff. And wait, what happened? Kimberly Crenshaw, Crenshaw um, was finding what did it to them. I don't know. Yeah. Wait, what? What did you say? No, so you were saying like the the worst, uh, like some of the worst violence in history, like uh, in in modern history, happened to the black South Africans, and they survived that only to be taken out by intersectionality. Because their their brains are totally poisoned by that now. Like they say the craziest things on South African Twitter now, and it's just like, uh, same talking points is here, but like on steroids. It's it's really really um, weird, but like. I'm trying to think like what are that's what wild. are black woke what are black woke shows going to be like now because I'm like if because they're sourcing their shows from Twitter too and their Twitter seems so much weirder that I, I feel like they're going to have a show on on um, you know black UK TV that's going to uh, blow our minds and how and how bad it's going to be in, in its um, talking points. 
I'm surprised. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be about um, all of the, uh, the the black immigrants coming over on Windrush because Caribbean black men were too toxic. <laughs> uh, last thing I'll say about um, uh, the, the... Oh, never. Mind. Oh, 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 actually, I'll just say this real quick. Um, you were asking, like, or, or maybe it was Chris. Someone saying they have to know how bad it is, but the reason why I, I don't know, I was reading this this interview with the people because I was like, I have to know more about these people because I'm going to get a sense of what they're like because the show is just so weird and bad and I, I think they're for real I mean um, the guy was talking about is in W Magazine how the show came to be and he says uh, it says Kerman is not only a co-star but also a co-creator of Bust Down a new series with fellow comedians Sam J, Chris Red and Jack Knight according to Kerman Bust Down started after Red was tasked with which is Chris Red was tasked with remaking a British show about four guys who break up with their girlfriends. He swiftly turned to the group chat, which consisted of Jay, Red, Knight, and himself, and together they came up with the show about four friends who work together in the back room of a casino. So first off, like uh, it was an assignment. He was told to remake a, a a white British show. So again, already off the start, this is a black version of something white, which I think is very common with these people. Right. Um, but then they either reboot stuff or make black versions of white stuff. But then the first two questions of the interview is um, what's the first thing you read in the morning? And he says, almost always Twitter. I wish I was getting up with some book that inspires me and offers me inspirational quotes or thoughtful takes on what's happening in the real world. But truly, I'm just going down the timeline and making sure I have as much nonsense packed in my head as possible before I start the day. And then they say, how do you get your news? Yeah. Mostly Twitter. I think I depend on group chats. This is probably poison oh, for the good world. Oh, God. But everybody has their own curated algorithm. Some of the news that I access is not the news that my friends access, and then they bring me their side of the news. Then we have a party basically arguing about all the different news. So those first two questions, he basically admitted that he only gets his news from Twitter, but not just Twitter, he said group chats. Like... I'm imagining I'm ima- I'm imagining a hookah lounge, except all of the uh, the pipettes are plugged into each other's asses. I'm sorry, what's that, Ryan? That was sort of like the Paul's show, though. When you think about it, by Sam J. Um, I'm not following. The, oh, the the Paul's show, yeah, yeah. No, that that is what the Paul's show basically was. You're absolutely right. That's a good. That's a good point. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That was what the Paul show was. It just that's exactly what other. it was. <laughs> that's a great, great. Yeah, the Paul show is basically her and all her Twitter friends just uh, bullshitting. But it explains that horrible dialogue, like the one about the black men not doing anything. Because that's just yeah. So I'm like, either they really believe their bullshit, or I, I don't know. But why would you make this up knowing they looked that bad in the interview, unless you didn't know that you were looking that bad? You said there was a skit about black men not doing anything. Oh, in, not in a skit, a, a subplot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in Bust Where? Down, at, in Bust Down, the first episode after the guy gets his junk grabbed, um, uh, he's like, "Oh, I'm going to um, do a movement on you know sexually abused men." And then he says something like, "And you know who's going to lead the movement? Me." And then the black lesbian kind of rolls her eyes, like, "Of course, a black man going to be the leader of a movement," which was a weird kind of commentary since. It happened to him, 
So why shouldn't he be? You know, so so basically, they were being true to life, but in a bad mm-hmm. ways, and they were accidentally revealing a lot of their own logic. Because I was uh-huh. thinking to myself, wait a minute, if his junk was grabbed, then why shouldn't he lead the movement? But and okay. and this isn't a play on Terry Crews, right? Um, I mean, maybe it's partially inspired by him, but uh, it, it was basically like black men are too emotionally stunted to know when they've been molested. But yeah. even when they do get molested, um. When they advocate for themselves, how, yeah. How dare you advocate for yourself as somebody who has uh, been sexually assaulted by your white superior you know in the workplace? Man? I try to steer clear of these conversations specifically around this because, like, it's so infuriating. Like, yeah. Like, in like, so like how they try to make fun of it, but there's people who not only like experienced it in their real life, but have actually tried to do actual work around it. And when those people do work around it, they get so much heat about it. But then they want to make fun about it um, on these platforms, as if black men don't be trying to do nothing about it. Because every time, and and, and, and this is said in this in this skit, right? Because when Mitchell makes up the lead, and they were like, he says something like, you know what? We should also do this the same way we um, did all this stuff about police brutality. And then one of the people corrects him and goes, actually, it was three black women who started Black Lives Matter. And then someone else goes. It was well. Then what did black men do uh, while that was happening? Um, mostly just tweeted and did nothing. And I was like, first off, that's a load of bullshit because there were plenty of black men and women marching in the streets before Black Lives Matter showed up. Someone should have just said, "Oh, they were the ones dying." Yeah, exactly. If Ferguson, like uh, five or six of them, like straight up died. Um, um, <laughs> like, activists while Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I was gonna getting... say Darren, Darren Seals never existed. You know, yeah, he's, a, I mean, he's an urban. Yeah, it's funny. But... It's funny that even even in so like back in the day, the leaders of the movement who were black men, they used to get assassinated. But now today, the leaders don't get assassinated. Still, the black men get assassinated, but they're just not the leaders of the movement. That's just yeah. There's nothing that's a great interesting point. about that. <laughs> like, and, and, and and the ones who are leaders of the movement now get like book deals. Um, uh-huh. Developing deals with Warner Brothers or whatever. I, I thought what was funny about this skit is that they left it up there, even in light of Black Lives Matter. Uh, even liberals now admitting that <laughs> they, they scammed tens of millions of dollars, and they're still they're still bragging about taking credit. Like like, and what what kind of movement, even after you get exposed for scamming, still wants everybody to kiss their ass? Is the is the most amazing thing to me. Like you know, you have six million. They just don't say it's Cointel Pro. Yeah, basically, sixty million dollars unaccounted for minimum, and even today, somebody told me Black Lives Matter uh, was fighting for y'all, and y'all don't appreciate it. And it's like they should be thanking us for that sixty million dollars. Remember got when our movements backs. used to be accountable to the results that they like? Like movements had to be accountable to show some results, right? So, for example, if Black Lives Matter was doing all this for black men, the result of that should have been well. Uh, Black men uh, were less killed. Were there any uh, laws within... passed? Was there and any like, that, like yeah. did police stop killing black men? Um, that's a resounding no. You know, so like <laughs> Black Lives Matter wasn't successful. It's not like black people stopped dying. You know what I'm saying? They put it, it, nothing. Nothing happened. You know, uh, but Rennie, because we don't have, huh? Rennie, tied into what you're saying, uh, that that discussion that debate Q was talking about, I got sucked into it where. Um, about that that girl who got uh, strip searched, and they were saying that 
you know, they were wasting time arguing about if, if it should be a black children march or a black girls march because, you know, we're censoring boys again by, by saying children. Um, th this, this girl tweeted at me. She was like, well, the dumb thing about this is that uh, Black Lives Matter was started by black women and they did nothing but talk about black men. So, you know, y'all should shut up. And I'm like, well, what tangible thing did they do for um, black men? And all she was saying was awareness. I'm like, no, not awareness. Okay, even if they got awareness, what did the awareness do? Like, give me a tangible. And she just kept saying awareness in different ways. And then other people started joining in and said, just name a tangible. And then people started mocking her. Like, you can't name one tangible thing they accomplished. So then she took a different tack, which is interesting. She goes, y'all keep talking about tangibles, tangibles, tangibles. Well, anybody knows that awareness is more important than... Um, tangible things and i was like okay that's a new one i never saw that we what yeah i swear to god she, I, I, uh, what does that mean what does that mean uh, that, that's a crazy thing she said yeah she said that attention media attention is more important oh. than than <laughs> actual um results and that somehow okay. we were um being dense or whatever but this is interesting is that's the one thing that they credit themselves with is attention awareness yeah. and something that i said was even that is given too much credit because it's such bullshit, right? Because I was like, that's the one thing people don't push back on, but I think they shouldn't even get credit for that because in every single one of these Awareness cases... Awareness of what? Yeah, in every single one of these cases, there was already protests that people knew. Like, it wasn't like nobody knew about um, uh, Mike Brown and then Black Lives Matter showed up and it made everybody know. The awareness happens first... Then Black Lives Matter crashes the protest each and every right. time. So, so I so I said to the girl, I was like, even this awareness thing, can you name one person who got killed that wasn't already in the national news and covered every day and already had protesters um, until Black Lives Matter showed up? Like that Black Lives Matter actually created the awareness. And then she straight up said, he goes, no one knew anything about police brutality or any of the people who got shot until Black Jesus. Lives Matter made them aware. Jesus. So I was like. People are changing or rewriting reality right in front of us now. Like, you don't even have to Jeez. wait 10 years or 20 years for most of the people to die or whatever. Um, it's crazy. Listen, people will lie right in your face as it's happening. This is the direct result of the liberal academy. People pretend like police brutality just became a thing because it started being filmed. Like, there are so many, there were so many organizations literally dedicated to that cause. Like, I mean, what the fuck? Police brutality has always been a thing that the black community have been <laughs> engaged against. The yeah, black, totally. Like, like and, fuck and, the police just was a song, you know? Like, hip-hop just and, and, came up with that shit. And like, it's wrong on both levels because, like you said, the broader topic of police brutality has been around forever. But also, every specific victim was already blowing up. Like, if anything, the victims brought awareness to Black Lives Matter after they died, rather than Black Lives Matter bringing awareness to the victims after they died. Like, yeah. like Mike Brown was used to blow BLM up. BLM up. BLM didn't Correct. blow up Mike Brown. Uh, all these people who died, basically, the dead black men brought awareness of Black Lives Matter to the public right. rather than Black Lives Matter. So it's like, whether you're talking yeah. about on the macro level of police brutality, like Randy said, that's been talked about since Fuck the Police and even before then. And... He was long talking about on a, on a, yeah. long before then. He talked about on an individual level. Every single one of these uh, household names as a victim of police brutality 
was in the news and being debated before Black Lives Matter got involved in any cases. But what's right. scary is if this is the kind of discourse and news that people like the creators of the Bust Down are getting, because they're getting mm-hmm. all their news, they're doing they're getting all their news from group chats with people like this, and then they're creating uh, so-called black art. It's just really disconnected, weird black art. Yeah, it's like people don't want to admit that this was their entry point into police brutality, um, you know, in the black community. Like for some people, 2013, that was their first time engaging in some social justice discourse. 2015, Mike Brown, 2013, Trayvon Martin, you know what I'm saying? Like for a lot of people, this was their first time. This was a younger generation. And that's okay. Because I mean, you didn't, you mean this, you're young. This is your first time experiencing this. But to pretend that this was the first time ever is just, it's interesting. But, 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 but let me ask you this, Randy. Do you think that at the very least, Black Lives Matter was the first time they heard of the, the specific names, as in they didn't know Mike Brown was shot and that people were riding in Ferguson until they saw or heard the Ray? Because the way I remember it, it was in the news for weeks and months yeah, uh, I even, be, I before, before you heard of these Black activists, Matter. yeah, I'll even say this: people didn't even know Black Lives Matter was a organization. They knew of it as a um, as of a hashtag before they even knew of it as an organization. I totally um, agree. And so that even that even serves more to the point that Black Lives Matter wasn't the impetus for this sort of like uh, renaissance of of, you know, the younger generation, like, becoming sort of like, well, I mean, in many ways, it was like the fact that we were living in a social media era and people could get access to these camera, these camera video videos, 24-hour cable news, like, the technology just sort of merged with the times. And, yeah. you know, people were able to sort of, like, see it in real time, and that's what galvanized them. And then Black Lives Matter comes in to pimp, pimp, pimp out the pain. And so, and, and they were very clear from the from the very beginning. Like, I mean, we've had an episode on this with someone who was in Black Lives Matter. Their their entire purpose from the get go was to change the to reorganize the leadership of the past movements because they thought that you know in the beginning, I mean not in the beginning, but in the past, movements were shaped and led by black men, and that if only had black women led those movements, they would have been successful. So the goal was to just reorganize the leadership. And that was, that was their goal. And so they did that and nothing changed. And so, I mean, Hey, Nope, Nope. Nothing changed at all. Um, well said. And I'm going to throw out one last call for callers because, um, nobody's coming up. And if not, I think we're just going to end it. Um, so, Last call. Anybody want to come up and say anything? If not, this is a this is a really interesting room in that like actually yeah. this this happens to this room and it happens to Drop Squad a lot. That no uh, no, no it does it does happen to Drop. Although like I, I do get you, some, no I get some people that come I get some people that come through Drop Squad and then want to ask me about like I don't know cryptocurrency or like uh, what's happening in like Peru or some shit and I'm like hey yo like this is an Africans only show, but uh, yeah, yeah it, it's. Uh, odd to me that like on all the call-in shows uh uh media masochist and drop squad i would say people are a lot more hesitant to uh to come up um on the call uh, on the caller queue and it's like 
I would say that these two are the most easygoing shows that I'm on at all. And the topics aren't super esoteric. Like you try to keep it like, uh, but yeah. I forgot. I forgot what last week's topic was, but a lot of people have done last week's topic. I forgot what that what that was. Oh, but, one but, thing I was gonna ask: Have y'all been looking at like any of these Apple TV shows? Because I've been watching Severance, Suspicion, and uh, the new joint with uh, what's his name, um, Samuel L. Jackson. And I, I like watched. I watched Ted Lasso. Uh, uh, hold up, pretty, hold up. Before we before we go there, probably want to yeah, let Cindy ask her question. Yeah. Yep. I haven't watched this show, so I'm not really sure about that. But I did look up uh, Bust Down, and when it came up on my search engine, it gave me the definition. It said it's a rap term that describes either a piece of diamond-encrusted jewelry, usually a watch, or a uh, promiscuous woman. So it's this show about jewelry. I mean, really... No, I don't well, understand sorry. what it's supposed to be about. It's just, I'm sorry, it's just, it's just the way you ask that question. I'm fucking dying. <laughs> but, 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 you know, you know, I know bust down is a sexual term. I don't know it as the jewelry term, but it, it, they call I know it, it as another term from where I'm from. Oh, oh, what is it where you're from? So where I'm from, bust down, like, I mean, like, let's say you're eating something. Yeah. And someone could be like, hey, bust down. That basically means, like, let me have some of that, like... Like literally, like that is oh, a genuine thing. Oh, I always, I always oh. took, I always took bust down to mean, um, like the jump off, like uh, you know, like uh, like a girl who's just like uh, who's who's down for whatever. Um, but, but, but sometimes people use it for yeah. the actual act of sex. Like that's what know, it became like, after bust down Tatiana, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But the funny thing is, all those definitions—the jewelry one, the sex one, the uh, give me your food—none of that relates to the show. So that's actually even funnier. There's like four definitions, but none remotely to me tie into what this show is about. And I think it ties into what someone in the panel said that. Or was maybe it was a caller that, that they just wanted superficially just inject blackness into it by just uh, having kind of stereotypical um, hood stuff. So they just kind of just chose a popular black Twitter term, you know, and, and just use it the same way that they, they put people drinking forties. I'm like, who gets together drinks forties in 2022? Like, I, ain't all... you. I yeah. do know some. I do actually Particularly... have a comment about Black Lives Matter, if that's okay. Oh, um, go ahead. So... Black Lives Matter, the women that ran it bought like four mansions with helipads. Now, I don't know about anybody else in the black community, but I didn't see that wealth getting spread around. And when they stand up for these people, they stand up for the rioters. There's a guy in Maryland right now, Baltimore. He's going on trial for the fifth time for murder that he didn't commit. The state evidence has even said the gun they're saying was fired wasn't fired that day. And the district attorney is still trying to get him sent to jail for, for, for murder. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'm, I'm, no I'm Black Lives Matter around it. The, they're trying to get the rioters off. Yeah, like, so in Louisiana, some guy uh, tried to assassinate a Democratic candidate, a Jewish Democratic candidate. Black Lives Matter bailed him out of jail for $100,000. They showed up, 
at the courthouse with a check for $100,000, the Black Lives Matter Louisiana Division. Now, this guy, his name is Keith Davis Jr. He has been on trial because he was walking down the street, he heard gunshots, heard somebody yell gun and started running. The cops lost sight of the person they were chasing, saw him running, followed him. When he ran into a garage, they opened fire on the garage and they fired about 40 bullets into the garage. They shot him three times, once in the face, and he survived. They later said they found a gun in the garage that was never fired and that he was the one that had they've been after for this robbery. Well, the person that was robbed said, no, you have the wrong guy. That's not him. And he got off on the charge. Since then, the district attorney has charged him four times with a murder committed with this gun that was never fired, doesn't have his fingerprints on it. He didn't have gunshot residue on him. Like it's, it's absolutely madness and people are just ignoring it. The Freedom Project, is that what it's called? I I'm looking this thing up. I'm looking this thing up now. It's a very it's a very known case in the black community. <clears throat> Which one? The yeah, I was gonna say there's yeah, yeah, it's very well known. Yeah, uh, I don't I don't know this one too well. So you have to uh, enlighten me it's on that. Quint- 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 yeah, it's in Baltimore. The district attorney is actually being sued right now by the federal government. She's under investigation by the IRS for buying two houses or properties in Florida and lying on her tax information. I mean, that might be true, but is she involved in Black Lives Matter? Like, I feel like we can just throw in every bad thing of a black person. I mean, yeah, but she's not like involved in Black Lives Matter, like the organization. Like, I, I highly doubt that she is. Like, I just feel like we well, can no, destroy every black... organization, but she's a Democrat, and all the Democrats are for Black Lives Matter. Uh, but by that, by that definition, uh, everybody's Black Lives Matter. Like, yeah, I don't really, yeah, I don't really know what that... Black Lives... well, yeah, yeah. Well, all, the, all the politicians, not all the Democrats, but all the politicians, uh, yes. I mean, unless they're on, like, the board so or the founders... Like, the voters like, I feel and the like... politicians. I feel like this makes it very broad to just call everybody, you know, Black Lives Matter. Like, I'm even looking at these people who bailed out, um, bailed out this Keith Davis guy, and it seems like it's we, we the know. protesters. They didn't bail out Keith Davis. They bailed well, out a guy in Louisiana who shot at a Quintess, Quintess Brown. candidate. Well, that's the thing. It's like, okay, uh, yeah. one, <clears throat> I, I don't know. That one, I'm, I'm still... Uh, I'm going to put this. I don't know that that can be ascribed to anything uh, like nefarious on the part of BLM because the uh, the defendant, Quintez Brown, had had a history of mental problems. And two, um, you know, he was apprehended. Everybody has a history not a, of mental problems. <laughs> n- n- no, that's absolutely not true. Uh, although, like, people who end up in jail do have, like, a higher uh, prevalence of it. But uh, there's a... Uh, uh, it's not as though he was apprehended at the scene. He was apprehended after the fact. And frankly, like, I think that cash bail 
should be illegal to begin with because until he's actually been tried and convicted, we don't know anything about the dude. That's not me trying to make excuses. That's me saying we don't know enough about the case other than what's been reported. Uh, we certainly haven't had a trial for all the evidence to be brought forward. Right. So but I think has- where it comes to the, the, the key, I think where it comes to the Keith Davis issue, like there has been plenty of awareness raised around the fact that he's been tried multiple times and that the uh, the prosecutor was like, you know, touted to be like one of the quote unquote like progressive prosecutors in America. And yet like under, um, under Marilyn Mosby's uh, supervision, you know, this, this dude has been tried multiple times. Like they just are determined to put him in jail regardless of how flimsy the evidence is. But I don't know that I could uh, point to a lack of, and, and not, I'm not even somebody who is particularly fond of uh, the national BLM organization to begin with. So this is not me like engaging in apologetics. I'm just saying like, no, I think people are fairly well aware. And also like uh, somebody getting um, bailed out uh, pending a trial. I don't think that there's anything nefarious you can point to there. But when the truckers were raising money from the same source that raised money for Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. it couldn't be used for them because they were Nazis and racists and what, what source is that? What source that, would that, that be? That is according to all news sources. No, what, what what source would that be though? Like what source are you talking about? Like GoFundMe. Right, but you're, you're not you're not you're generally not allowed to like if somebody is on trial for like a a violent murder, it is a, a or like if, you know, if it's if they're on trial for a violent crime, um, or generally like a high profile crime, ever since uh, <clears throat> uh, Timothy Loman, who uh, shot um, Tamir Rice, I, GoFundMe has had a policy that you cannot raise money through their site for that purpose. So they weren't like they that chapter was not raising money through GoFundMe to bail Quintez Brown out of jail. That chapter either um, had. Uh, money in the coffers already or was fundraising within the community but not through gofundme because gofundme as a policy doesn't allow that Does it but, check, I, did but it check down black lives matter's funding page because i don't think it did what gofundme yeah uh gofund right? i mean does the louisiana chapter have a, a gofundme that was raising money for quintez brown's uh bail i know that the national uh, arm does <laughs> Right, uh, but uh, the, uh, uh, the I, but it's I, the Louisiana I, chapter that bailed him out. Yeah, I, I checked, and it's not even the Louisiana chapter. There's something called the Louisiana Bail Fund, and yeah. one of the co-founders of the <clears throat> Bail Fund is um, a member of Louisiana Black Lives Matter. So it's like, I've, I, I feel like you can just call everything the National Black Lives Matter. I mean, and I'm not a fan of them. Anyone who listens to this show knows, but I don't want to spread misinformation either. Like, for example, the four mansions with the helipads, like, None of the mansions have a have a helipad. There's one of them that has a shared runway with other uh, houses in the um, in the community. Like like it's, it's a rich community, and a lot of these houses have a shared runway where people can fly there and and land the private planes. But like four helipads on four mansions, there's just like a helipad is a whole different level of a, of a mansion. Damn. You know, that's yeah, and, that's a flex. And, yeah, yeah, and and that's not. Like, 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 I, like, I feel like there's a lot of information that you're kind of either amplifying or you're conflating like different um, things. But, but yeah, like, like that, we're talking about the National Black Lives Matter um, organization, and each chapter does its own thing. But 
this Quintus Brown thing, from what I'm reading, uh, Black Lives Matter, the organization themselves, didn't actually um, bail him out. But somebody involved with the local Black Lives Matter was part of another organization that had to um, bail him bail him out. So, like, we try not to play, like, too loose with the details because then things get kind of conflated and overlapping and, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, I mean, I don't think Black Lives Matter, the national organization, supports rioters at all. Like, if anything, I think they're too lax on that. I I, I wish they did support more rioters, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I think it, that it, uh, like the, the 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 differentiation between like uh, quote unquote peaceful and violent protest is uh, the false dichotomy to begin with, and that the moment that like uh, anything approximating property damage begins that's when protest is out of line but the thing that's being protested against in the first place which is like people being like brutalized and murdered well that's right. par for the course i don't even like like the uh term uh rioter um because yeah. like you said it, it creates that you know that uh that bifurcation like you know when the actual cause was the the uh the loss of life but yeah, uh, I mean, just 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 a, a quick a quick point also just about the because uh, mm-hmm. you brought up the the trucker protest like like I'm of the same opinion where it comes to uh, Tamara Litch being imprisoned and, and was you know and was denied bail once uh, I mean she she did eventually get bailed out but there was a denial of bail and my thought on that is I don't really care what people say that that organization supports I know that Tamara Litch was part of a like a like a, a a far right sort of nationalist movement in Alberta, but that shouldn't preclude her ability to to get a fair trial. And I don't understand what she did that was so violent or dangerous that releasing her would be either a danger to the community or pose a flight risk. So I mean, on that front, I'm also like, I mean, I get what you're saying, but there's no double standard there either because I think that she should have been released pending a trial. Um. Hold on, she's coming back. Hold on. Um, uh, hey, hey, Cindy. Um, no worries about coming back, but um, please do keep it short because the, the reason I took you off wasn't because I had any problem with what you said, but because I was about to wrap it up. So, uh, but Q did bring another response to what you said. So, given that he responded to you one more time, I thought it was fair to let you speak again. But uh, just please uh, don't open up a whole news topic if you're going to respond so that we can close it after you. Uh, hey, Cindy, can you unmute? Is, is everything okay? Are you there? Yeah, if you... Uh, oh, if you oh, oh, there we go. Okay, there cool. Go. Yep. Sorry. So, yeah, I, I get I get that. You guys want to be precise with your language, and, and that's very understandable. And thank you for straightening me out on, on anything I was wrong about. But, um, you know, it's just, it's concerning that when, you know, like the mom and pop shops were burned down and robbed, that when they called the police for help, they were actually harassed by the police instead of helped by the police. And the people that burned down their shops and stole all their stuff were, nothing ever happened to them. Right? There was like I mean, I'm not gonna say right. To... Insurance. <laughs> you didn't know about I mean, any of this. I mean, I've 
I've heard people say stuff like that, but I mean, I think it needs to be kind of sourced. That's the problem because there's so many things that people say, but then when it's time to source it, when you look at the actual sources, there is a lot of, uh, I mean, I guess the first thing I have to say is what is, what is the source of this? Cause I have not heard well, any when, of this, like let like report in a reliable way. I'll say. Well, well, reliable is, is all in your own opinion. So like from what I saw from actual store owners and stuff like that, like corner store owners, when the riots were going on and their shops were busted in and broken up and and stuff like that, and they would call the police. The police would come and they would actually end up harassing the owners instead of helping the owners. So that's what I saw from videos from people Here's... that owned stores. Here's what so I, I can't see Historic... newspapers that talked about it because newspapers didn't talk about it. Was this Historic... was this with the? Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say historically, um, as it as it pertains to like people like uh, rioting, as you call it, or people or people rebelling, um, especially in like the urban centers, which you those stores that get you know busted into or stuff taken out of, um. Those aren't the stores that are sanctioned by the community that they're um, that they're quote unquote looting. So what you're getting is like so they're not like going into their barber shops or their beauty stores owned no, by no. you know them. They're no, I mean, it's convenience stores. Yeah, like stuff like um, those convenience stores for which you know many of those owners have in many respects been extremely racist. Um, or they've been, you know, extremely like harmful towards the community. And and another point that I wanted to bring up is the fact that there's this thing called counterinsurgency where a lot of stuff has gone on to the extent and hasn't actually been people from the community, but those are the people who get, um, get wrapped up in it. And so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like stories of like, um, not just stories, but like, I've, I've seen like, a lot of people like people like um, dressed in like all black and they'll go out yes. and they'll do something and like wreak havoc. And then the people who are trying to do like, you know, direct action or whatever the case may be, they get penalized for like some, you know, one off who's doing something else. So it's like yes. it's it's a lot of that going on as well. But historically, like the, the, the convenience stores and stuff that get broken into and looted over, whatever the case a lot of those people are from <laughs> a lot of those shop owners are people who those the community members already don't even like mess with that because of a mess with that uh owner uh that shop owner because something happened in that community with that store before but i don't i mean it, it, it most people aren't just like looting crazy especially stores and and, and in fact that's why a lot of this <laughs> A lot of the cities, uh, if you if you lived in a city, a lot of these store owners started doing things like putting um, this is a black owned business on their uh, on their shops or we support Black Lives Matter on their shop because they know that historically that is that exactly what the um, what the community will look for, like people who have been there for uh, the people in the community and who haven't been, you know, harmful towards the people in the community because they know you know, when shit go down. 
something something else I will something else I will say too is I feel like uh anytime there's angry uh protest that um you know uh does lead to what some would call rioting and for me I don't really think rioting is a bad work. I think sometimes it's it's um justified to be honest. But I think a lot of times that does happen it's not something that's easy to control and to contain. There's a lot of spontaneous energy and there's a lot of opportunists. Like, like the idea that everybody who might have uh, taken negative advantage during a riot necessarily sanctioned or part of Black Lives Matter, I think is the first thing that has to be proven. These aren't just people who just no, see I agree. I agree. An, yeah. an, an, an opportunity happen and just jump in. But for me, the bigger problem is to try to police the particular mechanics of what's happening during a riot and parsing whether it's a Black Lives Matter sanctioned person or an opportunist or an insider or an outsider takes away the focus from the bigger problem, which is if the government and the society and the courts weren't sheltering um, blatant murderers, this wouldn't happen at all because Derek, the Derek Chauvin thing, if they oh, locked yeah. that guy up the minute that video came out, then it would never have gotten to that point to begin with. But they chose to just keep not arresting him. Um, mm-hmm. He kneeled in this guy's neck for nine minutes, and there was no reason not to. And on top of that, they do an extra thing where they sent police, or the police took it upon themselves, to surround his house and protect him. And that was on the news while there's cities um, in flame all across the country, and just throw the guy in jail, you know, and he ends up in jail oh, yeah. anyway. So, so to me, they make the choice to just keep this guy out, knowing full well what it's going to cause, and just keep sheltering and sheltering him. And for to me, that is the bigger problem of whatever happened to those mom and pop people, because I don't think I've ever seen a case where someone did something crazy out of pocket to a black person and they locked them up right away. And then that stuff uh, still pops off. So to me, putting the onus on the people on the ground who are angry, hurt, and then all these uh, opportunists come in and might be doing stuff, et cetera, when really the people who we pay taxes to protect us and represent our interests, I think they're the ones who dropped the ball. It's very yes. predictable that when you leave people not getting justice in the most flagrant murders and just kind of parade it in uh, marginalized people's faces, like this is going to happen. So, so it's hard for me to think on that level when there's such a, to me, bigger travesty that, um, is the cause of this. And to me, I feel the government and the police and the people I pay taxes to owe me more of a duty than some random people on, on, on the ground. This is the most preventable thing on earth uh, to me. True. True. But the, so I know that the government puts out ads for role playing for actors that they then send in to cause this fucking trouble because they wanted to get those properties emptied so that the banks could buy them up 
because the people won't be able to afford the insurance to get them fixed up anyways. So the banks will come in, they'll buy up all the property, and then all those problems are gone for them anyways. So I know that the government does that. So, but they use the Black Lives Matter movement in order to do it. So they, they hide their operatives inside the Black Lives Matter um, rallies or, you know, protests. They then go out, do all this damage, and other people get caught up in the frenzy of breaking things and stuff like that, and that just happens. So I understand that. So I'm not blaming the people that support Black Lives Matter. I'm blaming the top of the people, like the top of the system, who instead of going to the homes of police officers that are letting this happen and protesting outside of their homes. See, but to me, I'd rather blame the top of the whole system and just blame the people who don't put the cop in jail. Like, I don't want to even blame the top of the Black Lives Matter system because at the end of the day, there's still nobodies. What, who's Black Lives Matter? They're not anybody. They don't have any powers to police anybody. They don't have any powers to do anything. I mean, I mean, even if they did go to that person's house and protest, that's not going to stop the people who wanna who are mad and don't want to protest from like they're not the managers of black people. They can right, force what other rioters is, to come to with them to the police's house. Like that's so not their power. The they're unable to, to do it. Themselves. But right? we need the cops to police themselves. We need the cops to look at the people that they work with and say, you're fucking unacceptable. What you do is unacceptable. We aren't going to accept that anymore. You need to go. That's what we need the cops to do. They don't do that, which is a problem. But if you're protesting the cops, don't go busting up places protest the cops right uh i don't know i feel i feel like once you let it get to whatever level it gets to you can't control the response that that happens and it's like i'm to me i think the cops would be fine with people protesting them um for a while i i think they have less tolerance for the uh property damage to be honest because that's what yeah, that's, that's why they exist. Yeah, yeah, they did to to protect property, not not you know. So it's like, I mean, I'm not condoning what happens to innocent mom and pop stores, but then again, um, how can we really know whether it's the good faith protesters who are doing that and not just you know opportunists, outsiders, or whatever? Like, I think at the end of the day, we got to put the onus on the people who we pay taxes to and. I think sometimes they do care more about property than they care about um, the inconvenience of people protesting outside of outside of their um, places. But uh, Cindy, thank you for your call, and um, we're going to end Thanks, it guys. here. But, but yeah, we we appreciate you joining us, and everyone else, thank you for joining us today. Um, make sure to follow everybody on the stage, and also. Um, Make highlights of the show. Um, you can make highlights of that last call because that was uh, interesting. I don't think we ever had a call like that. I, I might make a highlight of that one. And 
Yeah, basically, anything I forgot, Rainy Q, you want to promote your own shows, follow the host on the stage as well. And, yeah, any final words, anybody? Go ahead. Are you good? I was just going to plug the show. Okay. Yeah, yeah. well, plug Drop Squad and, and uh, check, actually follow both of them. If they follow you guys, then I think you're show they get notified of it right is that how it goes yeah when when the show goes on we can uh, notify folks but uh yeah you know uh listen to the drop squad podcast we're going to be on tomorrow night discussing the uh, the kanye west documentary and we're on every week talking about uh politics and culture and everything in between all right great great thanks thanks guys and also one one last thing if you have things that you want to talk about then dm at champagne sharks on twitter or email champagne sharks at gmail.com because i feel like people show up but then they're afraid to talk so maybe there's a certain type of topic you would actually feel comfortable chiming in on so by all means find a way to contact us and let us know and we will try to um introduce those topics and with that everybody have a good night thanks for joining us and we're always happy to have you guys take care peace